The killer is cotton fucking weary. Yeah, he's really tired. He's cotton fucking weary. <laughs> he's really weary, Dottie. He's really weary. He's really a weary Dottie. Oh God, uh, Jesus, Gail, you have more lives than a ghost, uh, or my, more lives than a cat, right? Is that what he says? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh no! Now I'm thinking. <laughs> I've gone to Mrs. Doubtfire. What are you doing wearing a dress? <laughs> I don't know my my brain catalog. Hi, Marys. Uh, <laughs> just was a, that about Psycho? <laughs> pretty, yes, exactly. And it was a Psycho reference. Did yeah. you imagine at the end of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Good God, are you doing wearing she, a dress? She comes down and she sees him, and yeah. she's like, "Good God, you're, what are you doing dressing a woman? <laughs> a woman." <laughs> That's what it is. Dressing That's a woman. That's the supercut, Mary. Yeah. Put that on Instagram. It's yeah. like the ending of Psycho. <laughs> what are you doing here? Dressing a woman. Yeah. Cut to Miranda the whole time. And then yeah. cut to like Norman Bates being restrained and screaming and like overplapped with her saying the whole time. I have to go. We have to go. Uh, and then obviously go back to scream. Billy Loomis saying we all go a little mad sometimes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Maybe like over the the line of Norman Bates saying it, you know, mm, so that it's right, synced right, up. Right, yeah. right, right, synced up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mary's hello. Happy October. It's mid-October. It's spooky season here on All Right, Mary. Um, we are putting out an episode that we put on Patreon this week. Uh, not this week. We put it on Patreon a while ago, but we are... A couple years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago, but we are publishing it on the free feed this week. Uh, it's for Scream 2, which... I feel like, for whatever reason, there's an argument over whether it's, like, the worst Scream. Mary, it's arguably the best Scream. I mean, you will hear our our discussion from, you know, 2020 about it, but I think I still stand by it that, like, it's... One of the issues I did have with it was I had to really kind of, like go with the script sometimes like okay all right i guess that's happening and you know we we have a whole discussion about it we we parse that topic you know into pieces so i won't go into it again but um i don't know i mean i don't think we've ever talked about the most recent scream we have not talked about five cream no we have not talked about five cream i will say scream two it does not have Bubba Butt Billy, uh, Bubba Butt Boyfriend Billy. It doesn't have the two cheerleaders in the bathroom, which mm-hmm. honestly, the first one is so good. Five Cream Mary is one of the smartest ways to do a sequel. It reminded me of how they did the most recent reboot of 90210. I just thought it was this Five Cream was so well crafted and smart. And you knew you knew the whole movie, you knew who the killer was, like if you were paying attention. You're like, it has to end this way. That's what this movie is doing. I just thought it was brilliantly done. Yeah, I think I liked it. I think I remember. I I I saw it when it first came out, so it's been a while. But I think I that's kind of the running theme with these Scream movies is you have to watch it through the Scream lens. Of, you can't watch it straight forward because Mm-mm. then it's like, oh, God, it, it's so obvious what you're doing. And it's like, no, that's the whole point. I'm doing it on That's purpose. the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole point. And, you know, I think my favorite part of Five Cream was when they revealed... Tasha Colby. Tasha Colby. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> So anyway, 
Scream 2, you know, you're about to hear our discussion of it. Our feelings might have changed since then, but um, I, I will say I thought it was, I thought that opening scene was really smart and very interesting. Um, the fact that, you know, they're bringing up Sandra Bullock. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We talk a lot about Sandra Bullock in this episode. I'll say this, Mary, is that this is because I pre-listened to it just to make sure, you know, we, we weren't putting out garbage to the masses. We don't really talk about the plot of Scream 2. We mostly talk about the <laughs> cast. And we spend so much time on Sarah Michelle Gellar. We could have just done a whole episode just about mm. her. And I so I just, like, this is for a, you've seen Scream 2 a thousand times. You don't need a recap. Nothing's a spoiler. This is that kind of episode. I just yeah. want to qualify that. Now that it's going out to the masses versus like our Matreons. No, no offense, you know. Uh, and something to look forward to for next week is Colin and I will be talking about The Watcher, which just dropped on Netflix this week. Not to be confused with The Looker. <laughs> the Looker. <laughs> the Looker. I mean, that's oh, the... That, that's the ma- the the mashup is the looker and the watcher. Mm-hmm. Cut to, <laughs> and cut then to the Penny witcher. Marshall. Yeah, <laughs> cut to Penny Marshall standing outside of their house playing a song on a loop. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, Mary, the biggest surprise to me about the watcher, because I listen, I was one of those people that read the cut article. I thought it was in the New Yorker for some reason, but it, it's not. It was like the cut. Um, I read that article and I was like, holy shit, what is this? It was so wild. And then found out that, of course, Oprah Hands, Ryan Murphy was going to make a series about it. And then Oprah Hands again, Jennifer Coolidge was going to star in it. And I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God, of course, I have to watch this. And then he goes ahead and cast Bobby Cannavale, Mary. <laughs> yeah, he's got that dresser, and he's got the mirror, oh. and he's got the little Virgin Mary on the wall. Oh, my God. And that overhead light. Uh, yeah, right. no. I Next week, we will talk about Bobby Cannavale and the fantasy that we have about him. But let me tell you, Mary, he is, he is so gorgeous. He is so gorgeous. Sit on I, my face, gorgeous. Oh, all day. Take all your stress out on me. I uh, just give it all to me, Bobby. I yes, he is very much like evolving into like an older, you know, an older Bobby in in, mm-hmm. in the Watcher. Mm-hmm. But I'm into it. He's ugh, I'm so Bob. Into him. He's turning into Bob. He's turning into Bob. Bob kind of Valley. I never yeah, Bob kind of Valley. I can never know how to say that name. I always think I'm gonna get it by the end, and then I don't get it. That's and I okay. say valet. Uh, the biggest surprise, and one I think is like, God, the season stealer is Mia Farrow. Oh, she's it's perfect. Not I mean, neighborly. It's not, not neighborly. neighborly. Oh. Very unneighborly. I she is. How did she find the tones in this show to be so brilliant? Yeah, that whole thing about like, you know, they're going to chop down that tree and they're not even going to make baby cradles out of it. Like this, the, <laughs> the specificity of baby cradles. I she's, can't wait. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. She's a real wack. I mean, what's interesting is like she's a real wackadoo. And in some ways she exists in a whole different world from Marco Martindale, mm-hmm. who is also phenomenal, phenomenal. in this. Phenomenal. Really, really scary. Yeah. Really scary. And like just going for it like she yeah. really gets to have so many moments where just she just gives it her all and it's really fun to watch but the the thing that i i'm excited to kind of explore with you is actually watching this through like a comedy lens like there were some 
points of this show where I'm like, this is this has got to be camp. Like the whole scene where I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a, a there's a pretty notable kitchen scene between Bobby Cannavale and another actor, and he's make the other actor's making a sandwich. It's nuts. That scene is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> the whole show, and obviously we'll talk about it next week, but there is a, an off-kilter vibe that I I liked, and I also, and this, you know, is obviously a little bit, you know, regional, but I, it's all set in Westfield, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I grew up, like, two towns over from Westfield. My cousins lived in Westfield. I used to, we used to go over there all the time. I used to babysit them all the time. So, you know, obviously this is, like, you know, my story. Uh, and so... <laughs> I uh, I have all these I got all these, on it, yeah. yeah you know please please don't send me letters you know um and so there is also that of like I the what the world they're creating of living in Westfield New Jersey like it isn't hyperbole like Westfield is so fucking full of itself mm. and it's like honey you are a stone's throw from Clark right. get over yourself right. Mary, right. It's, yeah. oh God. Lyndon is just down the way, sweetheart. And don't even ask me about Avenel because she's just waving in the back like, hey girl, I'm right here. Oh, you're throwing shade at poor little Avenel. Hey, I'm from Rahway. I'm allowed to. <laughs> Lock <laughs> him up. <laughs> We're real close with Avenel. So, you know, there's parts of Rahway and Avenel where it's like, well, I don't know. Oh, God. I don't know. You're talking like Michelle Shupak over I here. I know, but you know, for the seven people. <laughs> What did she talk about once on the show? Like, oh, I know Bergenfield. What did she talk about? She's just like, oh, Bloomfield. Oh, I know Bloomfield. Oh, right? something like that. I mean, I think anytime, it's not New Jersey, but anytime they bring up the Dr. Zismore reference. Oh, of course. That's very, it's obviously New York, but it's so specific to me. It's so, like, very, as regional as if you were talking about, like, I don't know, uh, what's a regional, you know, ShopRite's not even regional New Jersey. Other people have ShopRite, right? Uh, I don't know. I had ShopRite. Yeah, I had ShopRite, Oak Tree Center. Well, you know, the thing about The Watcher is, I guess a question that I feel like is coming up is like, should you read the news article first or should you watch the show? One thing that I did learn is that the people involved in the real story, they were very, very adamant about, you know, the the show having very little to do with what actually happened. They didn't want to look like the actors. They wanted to be very far from the truth. They wanted to be left alone. They want to move on. And I think that's kind of important for you to make a decision whether you're going to read the story first or you're going to watch the show. Because in some ways it doesn't matter. Uh, And knowing that they're kind of like very loosely related, I think also, uh, I don't know, uh, it, it helps... You watch the show after reading the story, if that makes sense. Well, I will be going into it the reverse because I have not read the story, but I have seen the show. So I'll read the the article second and then we can kind of compare our experiences. Because the article, like I remember reading it in bed and I was alone, right? And I was scared. It was like reading a a really scary story. Mm. And it wasn't a story. It was like a news article. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, this actually happened, you know, yeah. and and that made it even eerier. And so I was a little nervous for Ryan Murphy to take it on. I was like, oh, what the fuck is he going to do with this? But to know that he just like just took the stem, right, the stem of the story, and then he turned it into a American horror story, essentially, is what he did. 
Well, you know, it's funny we're just talking about Psycho, but, you know, Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's so many movies that have pulled from the Ed Gein, you know, uh, story, you know, this real-life killer in, like, Minnesota who, yeah, like, you know, uh, made things out of people's body parts and I think had his dead mother, you know, stuffed in his living room. But, like... Then, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, like, based on a true story. It's based on true events. It's like, yeah, but, like, it's so loosely connected. And so I just, I think now with something like this, it feels like based on a true story. I went into it, like, once it started to get weird, I was like, wait a minute. This is, this is inspired by, I read an article on the cut, and now I want to make this mini series. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, this is all making me think of something kind of embarrassing, but in retrospect, like I was a kid, but I remember, I, I think I was in like seventh grade. I went to go see the Blair, Bitch Pro- Blair Witch Project. Uh huh. And I, I thought it was real. Like it said at the beginning of the movie, this is all real footage. It's found. Blah blah blah. Mary, I thought that that was all real. And my mind was blown when they showed up at the MTV Movie Awards like a year later. They found them. They look pretty good. What happened in the basement, Heather? Mary, Mary, I was horrified. I I was like, what did I just see? Why did they show me that? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that was one of the few times they could get away with that before. And now it's like found footage. It's like, you know, I love found footage movies, even bad ones. I love found footage movies. Did you like Cloverfield? Um, That was a little too. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> big here's the thing i liked cloverfield but i think what i like about found footage movies is that they are they can be done on the super cheap they can be done really small they can be done yeah you know where it's just like people lost in the woods and so cloverfield was like yeah but what if we did it with cgi and monsters and it's like oh but i just like it when it's like what was that there's someone in the house you yeah, know yeah no you're absolutely right there's that movie that kind of bridges the two that i appreciated it was about a kid who had like superpowers um, and he his friend is like filming him and he has these superpowers. It's using effects, but it looks pretty realistic. Mm, I don't know uh, that one. I can't, I can't remember. There's like a big scene at the end where he's like floating off of a building. Anyway, uh, maybe our marriages can remind us. Uh, the other one though that I think you're kind of referring to that style is like paranormal activity. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another, that that kind of, you know, in terms of huge success really took some reins from Blair Witch Project. But there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, like, especially on Tubi, oh my God, Tubi is just, you're swimming in, like, low to no budget found footage movies. But, like, if anyone wants some recommendations for, like, a little off the beaten path found footage movies that I really enjoyed, one is this one called Evidence. Uh, I think from like 2012 and I feel like there might be a couple movies called evidence. So like the plot description should be about a guy who's like filming his friend as they all go on a camping trip with like their girlfriends and another friend and then don't read anything else. Cause where it goes from there is not what I was expecting. And I loved it. And then the other one, which just creeped me the fuck out is this little one called evil things. And it's just about these like friends who are driving up to like, a house in like upstate New York for like a birthday weekend and then like, you know, filming it. And then it's very clear that someone is following them and it's, I don't know what it is. It's so scary. scary. 
I just you really like they end up really liking the characters and like just kind of like they feel like real people and anyway just some some minor recommendations for found footage on on Netflix if you want one that's a little bit like more elevated there's the uh, I think it's Japanese or South Korean it's called Incantation and that one's fucked up the one that I think uh, is uh, I don't know maybe it was in the theaters that I I thought it was so so creepy no pun intended, but the movie I think is called Creep. Oh with, yes, uh huh. What's his face? He's kind of attractive. Mark Duplass. Uh, yes, Mark Duplass. Mark Duplex. Um, yeah. That movie. Oh God, when he puts the wolf mask on, Mary. Oh God. It was, I've only seen snippets and pictures. Oh, and, it was yeah. really. It was really weird. Yeah. It was really weird. That's, but like that, that where it's like, movie. you know, basically one setting, two guys, you know, like yep. doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but how did we get in? Oh, because of Paranormal Activity. And we were talking about, oh, Cloverfield. And you were you were saying there are some that you liked and you just. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. There's just I feel like, you know, uh, some of these smaller ones I get more excited by. So uh, just, you know, some recommendations, uh, you know, other than than Scream 2 some, and The Watcher. If you need some spooky things to the watch, looker. and the looker, I really think you should make that supercut, Mary. I think I'm gonna. I think I might. I think there's that supercut, and then there's, there's the, the psycho one, and then there's the psycho supercut. Yeah, the psycho what scream. Yeah, the psycho scream. Dressing a woman. The psycho scream. Mrs. Doubtfire supercut. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, Mary. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, put it out. Put it make it a reel or something. Yeah. 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 Uh the irony that it's a homophone for real. Anyway. Um yes, oh. reels. Uh oh, yeah, it's very real Pamara. Oh, it's very real Pamara. It's very real. Um the other kind of scary thing, not scary, but uh we were considering doing some all right scary episodes on two particular pieces of media. One is Stranger by the Lake, which is this French film, uh, French thriller film. And then the other one is Paulin's Halloween special. Yeah, which I had never seen. And so I gave it a goosey gander the other night. And it was, it was so bizarre. I ended up really liking it because I just, I, I liked I liked that it existed. I liked that it made no fucking sense. Mm. I love that it, it just... It Bruce was such Valanche a, wrote it. You Bruce know? Valanche wrote it. You know, I, I've never been a big Kiss person, but man, there's something about those those bare, hairy torsos and that makeup, and I was like, I don't think I've ever appreciated Kiss. It's kind of sexy. This Kiss, this Kiss. Yeah. Um, I... I thought there was too much kiss in the special, to be oh, honest. Was, but it was, was their it first ever. It was their first ever TV appearance, right? Yeah, so it was like a big deal. It's glam rock, right? Uh, it, it, everything about that special was very gay, right? The Wicked Witch of the West is there. Betty White is there. Leather Tuscadero is there. Paul Lind is hosting it, who was closeted, right? Bruce Valanche wrote it, and then Kiss, which is basically. Just like glam monster drag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all rolled in one. It all of the ingredients are there. It just—I don't know. There was too much kiss. Oh yeah, I I I think because those those hairy chests are at least that one guy. I was like, okay, I'll take another little kiss. I'll take a little kiss. 
and I guess there was just something so, and their songs were good. I was, I don't think I've ever really appreciated their music. I think Kiss is great. I don't. Kiss think is I, great. Kiss, Kiss is, great. is great. I didn't. I I never realized. Um, I. Yeah, I think there is so much that is there. And for anyone who wants like a real deep dive, there is this guy on YouTube uh, named Matt Baum, B-A-U-M-E. And he's got a popular YouTube channel. I know he had a, has or had a podcast called like the Sewers of Paris. Uh, yeah. Does a yeah. lot of like gay content and a lot of like, you know, video essays about like you know, queer content of the 20th century and early television and whatnot. But he has a whole video about the Paul Lynn holiday, Halloween special. That was, uh, you know, if you want a, someone to really marry out on it, I, I think he kind of does that. And because, um, yeah, I mean, there is, of course, all of that there of like what's coded in there. The fact that like Paul Lind in this one sketch playing this like big burly truck driver is dressed like such a like fucking gay you know, mm -hmm. uh, village person. Like it's like such gay drag playing such a, you know, obviously not straight character chasing after, uh, yeah. Pinky Tuscadero. That scene went, I don't know. That sketch went on way too long, Mary. <laughs> it was nuts. She was, I thought she was Jeff great. Conway was there though. Jeff we love Conway, Conway was there. I kind of feel like they were trying to, you know, talking about like trucker buddies. I was uh -huh. like, Oh, show me the rest stop. Pinky Tuscadero just sounds like a code word for something you do in the bathroom. You want me to give you a little Pinky Tuscadero? Where you put hey. your finger in and twist it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, sit on it, Potsy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Uh, the, you know, I watched this French thriller. I do think you should watch it, Mary. I think everybody should watch it. I just don't know if I want to have a whole All Right, Mary episode on it. But it was called Strange by the Lake, and it's French. And it takes place in the French countryside. Uh, and it's basically like a, a lake where gay men go to cruise, right? And it's illegal, but it's kind of like just people look the other way about it. But everybody knows that it happens there. And they kind of they meet by the, by the shore and then they go and have sex in the woods. And it's very much like a meat rack type of situation, right? Where you're just kind of walking through these winding paths and there's little little alcoves, little spaces where people go and have sex. Um, and yeah, something bad happens. Somebody goes missing uh, one, one of these, one of the days. And then, uh, you know, a couple days later, you know, the police come looking for this missing person and whatever, or they found, they found the body, that kind of thing. So anyway, there's a whole allegory um, that's in it. There's no music in it. I think it's interesting, and it. I feel like it's. You're kind of like, oh, is that what it means, right? But it 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 is an interesting movie. The last 15 minutes, I think, are really fascinating. There's hardcore sex in it, right? Like you'll see like a penis, a very hard penis, actually, uh, coming. You actually see My the come. Goodness. Yeah. So it's it. It's very French in that sense. There's a lot of butts, a lot of penises. So if you are looking for kind of a, a Halloween gay night that isn't totally, you know, scary, spooky, insidious, but is a thriller, there is blood, uh, you know, it, it gets to that level, right? But it, you know, otherwise it's a slow burn. Um, I recommend this movie. I'll check it out. I want to. I want to see that hard penis. Oh, you know, it's it's there. Show me that hard penis. Oh, I want to. Oh, penis. Right? Isn't penis? That's uh, like Scorny Weaver says penis. 
right? She's very oh, medical. Yes, know? she would say penis. What that makes me think of is I also just saw Halloween Ends, the last Halloween movie, and there was uh-huh. some graffiti under a bridge that said, suck my penis. <laughs> oh, my God. Suck my penis. Oh my <laughs> I wonder if that was like them just being like, we don't want to get in nc-17 rating yeah like let's just keep it like yeah yeah, just i mean it's so incredibly the the violence is so graphic that it's like if penis on a on a cement you know stanchion is going to get you an nc-17 why is all of this hand trauma not an issue mary i'll just say like that is a great question and it's been like that for years right just thinking about the the rating system and like the very conservative values that go into that, all of that. Anyway, I have not seen any of the new Halloweens. Are they worth seeing? No, they're awful. <laughs> the second one is one of the stupidest things I've seen. Halloween Kills? Okay. Halloween Kills. It's terrible. The only thing I like about them is that Kyle Richards is them in them, and she's, of course, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh. And, uh, and she... It's not a spoiler. In the second movie, I don't. She didn't die. She got away, and that was so. I was like, well, that was pretty much the whole reason I watched the third movie. Was like, are you going to kill Lindsay or what? Oh well, don't tell us. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. But uh, but I, I the question I asked you before we started recording, and maybe before we go here, the last question I'll ask you is, well, does Halloween end, Mary? I think that the suggestion is that. Halloween as we knew it may have ended, but much like the original Halloween series, there was part three season of the witch that went in a whole new direction. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but Halloween could be different. You know, maybe there's no Michael Myers, but maybe evil still is still around. I don't know. Maybe Mm. Michael Myers isn't dead. I don't know. Um, Okay. I don't know. I just don't know. And that's just me not spoiling the movie. All right. Well, we'll see what happens in 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. I think Jamie Lee Curtis is done, which is great because then she can like just go maybe win an Oscar for everything everywhere all at once. You know, it's worth kind of just bringing up since we're this episode is about to transition to Scream 2. Nev Campbell was originally not going to be in in Scream 6. And there was this whole hullabaloo on the internet. It's like, oh, wait, why isn't Nev Campbell going to be on Scream 6? Turns out that they weren't going to offer her enough money. Like, it was just, like, insulting or some sort of drama in that. Do you know mm-hmm. anything about this world? Yeah, yeah, that the, you know, it was it was a salary situation of, like, whether or not she was going to do it. Um, and then it turns out, you know, they I guess they bumped up her salary and she's going to do Scream 6. Yeah, Scream 6. So... Whatever happens, I just they cannot kill Sidney Prescott. They cannot mm-hmm. kill. Do you hear me, world? They cannot kill Sidney Prescott. You cannot kill her. I agree. I agree. I I think there is a once you've been through something long enough, it's like don't kill them. You you survived this long. Don't kill them. It's yeah. It, it's my Sidney Prescott. Of course, I have a gun. Like yes. Yeah. Like they, they have survived this long. You can't just do this now. Yeah. yeah. You know, in the Poseidon Adventure, you can't throw Mrs. Rogo into the fiery water right before they get out of the boat. It's just not fair. After everything she did, more than Mrs. Rosen, mm. she didn't actually do anything. She No, she did save the preacher. But that's the only good thing she did. Mrs. Rogo, she, she was... You go back and watch that movie. That woman was wearing a men's shirt and go-go boots, and she was, you know... 
carrying them all through that fucking boat. Mary, it is worth a rewatch. Have we even done the Poseidon Adventure on this podcast? No, I don't think we've formally done it. That has to be our Halloween episode then. We have to formally do this episode or do that that movie. I get I mean, yeah, what was the wasn't there well we were gonna do the oh the Halloween episode. We have two more weeks. Yeah. Yes. I mean, is that is that because we could even do that into like the fall. We could do Poseidon Adventure anytime. I just feel like is that like for our Halloween episode? Is that spooky enough? It's almost it's a Christmas episode. It's a New Year's episode. Oh, it is Christmas or okay. a New Year's movie. We, we can is, definitely wait. We can definitely wait. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. Right. Um, but I and I, this is not. I mean, you know my feelings on Poseidon Adventure, but um, the city I, and adventure. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Uh, well, that's one of the first things we connected on, Mary, when we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Jack Albertson. Mary. Shelly Winters. Yeah, well, of course, of course. Drogo! <laughs> oh. Manny! <laughs> Manny! Manny! <laughs> All right, we're going to end it there, Marys. You get 30 minutes of us this week uh, being silly, talking about Halloween things. We're going to transition you over to Scream 2 after a brief little break. Party party, Tatsins! Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. One time, Mary, I spent 20 minutes looking for my glasses. And he needs his glasses. He can't see without his glasses. Well, guess what, Mimi? They were on my face the entire time, just waiting for me to notice them. I kind of feel like maybe looking in the mirror might have helped. That's actually kind of how therapy works. Oh, we're talking about therapy? We are, Mary. Well, I do love therapy. A therapist doesn't necessarily solve all your problems, but helps you see the solutions and become a better problem solver on your own. Oh, I hear that. Just by talking through something with a therapist, I often get to those aha moments completely on my own. Marys, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's affordable, accessible, convenient, and entirely online, so you don't need to leave the comfort of that cozy caftan. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash AllRightMary today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash AllRightMary. All right, Mary. No, they broke up again. Really? Mm-hmm. Sarah found out that Bailey slept with Gwen. She dumped him like two episodes ago. Hold on. Someone's calling. Omega Beta Zeta. Hello. Yes? Who is this? CC. Who's this? Who do you think? Ted? Where are you? Are you drinking? Uh, hold on. Ted's on the other line. He sounds drunk. I'll call you back. Ted shit only calls you when he's drunk. Don't go over there, CC. All right, all right. I'll call you back. Okay, Ted, you sound loaded. What's up? Who's Ted? Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I thought you were someone else. That's okay, I am. Who are you calling for? Uh, nobody's here. Where is everybody? We're co-sponsoring the Acid Rain Mixer at Pi Gamma Alpha tonight. Why aren't you there? I'm sober, sister. I need to be here in case a drunk sister calls and needs a ride. That's too bad. Drink with your brain. That's our motto. Who are you calling for? What if I said... What if I said goodbye? Why would you want to do that? Why do you always answer a question with a question? 
I'm inquisitive. Yeah, and I'm impatient. Look, do you want to leave a message for someone? Do you want to die tonight, Cece? You know, I I don't experience or see as much Sarah Michelle Gellar as you do because I'm not currently a, uh, a Buffy stan. It's not because I don't like Buffy. I just don't haven't gotten into it yet. And so I don't have like as much like, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar in my in my bones. And so whenever I see her, it's like, oh, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's great. Does anyone else know this? She is. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she, she was taking things by storm. Yeah. Um, right around this movie. Yeah. You know, with Buffy, with, uh, you know, what are you waiting for? Uh, the, uh, I know you did last summer. I know summer. you did last summer. Yeah. Where, you know, you'd think that Sarah is the final girl, but it's, you know, the the, the bit part from Sister Act 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that little that little church mouse. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I mean, I have to say, you know, in terms of the, the cast of characters in Scream 2, she was, I think, my favorite one. She was the, it was like, oh, God, I could have really done with more Cece in this movie. <laughs> more cc's of cc yeah i want to see more cc uh, <laughs> what you see is what you get um so uh well i i mean that's a bold statement i just want to just just clarify so more than nev campbell you know I, nev is solid but i i did i was not I think in terms of oh, there's an ambulance driving by. I think it's I think it's it's some sort of culture police telling me to say nothing negative about <laughs> Nev Campbell. Um, I'm, Be careful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Nev is great. I don't think it takes anything away from her, but I think in terms of like just charisma and just like oh, what kind of energy could just carry this movie. It's like Sarah Michelle Gellar could easily carry this movie slash this franchise. And so when you take someone like that and you only put them in 10 minutes of the movie, you feel that. Like, oh, God, I could have had so much more of her because, like, she's just very – just a lot of star power. She's very charismatic. Mm. Okay. That's well explained because I don't want to take anything about Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell's Sidney Prescott is, is fantastic. Her is Final Girl – her doing her Nev thing. I hands on the face. I appreciate yeah. it. Yes, right. Just and even this nineties haircut and you know, because she's still Julia from Party of Five, you know, yeah. not you know, another Jennifer Love Hewitt reference. But you know, she's still Julia, but she's doing this Nev thing right now, you know, coming off the craft. Like this movie also, I didn't realize this <clears throat> until I looked up the dates, but this movie was filmed like months after Scream was released. Yeah. I that I didn't realize either. It was like, oh, no time had passed. This was greenlit while Scream was still in the theaters. And so, because mm. I think the first Scream came out around Christmas in 96. This came out around Christmas 97. Like, that's insane to me. Yeah. Insane. Insane. That, yeah, that they kept it, you know, going. That Kevin Williamson wrote this brilliant script. And, I mean, to his credit, but also, you know, not. But, like. I guess he had the idea while he was writing the first one, but uh, still, he wrote this after. So I'm, yeah, impressive, very impressive. You know, I, um, I and and we'll get into it ahead. as we get into it because when you bring up the script, there's definitely all of the screen movies, m most horror movies rely on a certain level, obviously, of 
willing suspension of disbelief and just accepting certain coincidences and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things where if you're like, okay, just go with it. And I will yeah. say scream two, I had way more just go with it moments than I needed to have in scream one. Like there's right. so many of like, I mean, you could go down the line from like, how did the ghost face killer know that what Phil was going to be in the stall next to him and how did he know where to stab him? You could to the very end, there's all these different little coincidences and like just like plot conveniences where it's like, okay, but if I let that go, mm. it's a it's a mm-hmm. good it's yeah. a fun two yeah. hours, you know? Right. Oh no, absolutely. And uh, you know, if you think of the movie as just an extension of the first one, where it's commenting on the horror genre, but now this other aspect of the horror genre of sequels, I mean, it also makes sense that it would be kind of a messy plot. Yeah. Or there would be kind of plot holes in the sequel. Is that fair? I mean, I guess that's so convenient also for me to say well, as a defense. Well, and I think it, I think that's the thing is like there's a lot of things that happen in Scream 2 where you could say, oh, no, this is on purpose. They're doing this on purpose because this is what happens in sequels. Mm. But it's like, oh, th- we talk about this with Drag Race all the time. It's like, oh, that's convenient. You have that narrative, but that might not necessarily be coming through. Um all the time if you have to tell us if you have to tell us about the garment you know right (laughs) it it needs to speak for itself honey you know (laughs) so you know uh (laughs) selling the script here you know but i uh well i okay so that's fair enough that's fair enough that's uh uh, probably another topic conversation later but back to back to buffy summers uh cc um, yeah, this scene is a standout, uh, and it was too short. Way too short. That was my other thing was like, I could have seen this play out like a, when a stranger calls half hour set piece, mm-hmm. you know, like, right. Because right. you have Sarah Michelle Geller, you have this huge house, all of, I mean, all of the elements that they had with Casey Becker in the first movie, it was like uh, times 10. I mean, this huge sorority house, I was like, oh, they could have had like references to the movie Black Christmas, which is like one of the the earliest slashers, even before Halloween, that took place mostly in a sorority house. I was like, oh, where's like, there's so many opportunities here. And the scene felt very short to me, but I enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, and maybe it could have gone on too long in the middle of a movie. Like it wasn't the opening scene, sure, right? It's there the middle of the movie. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a severe purpose for... Jada Pinkett and Omar to be in the beginning, which we'll talk about later. But back to Sarah and Selma. Can we talk about Selma Blair? Mm-hmm. People don't realize that's Selma Blair on the phone. Yeah, not to be confused with the with the roommate who pops out out of nowhere for the oh, jump no. scare. But yeah, no. Selma Blair right. is on the phone. So, uh, um, and it's so Selma Blair. Yeah. Well, they literally <laughs> called her. It's Selma. We have the perfect role for you. <laughs> You know, you can just actually you could we could do we could record it right now if you wanted. (laughs) Oh, right, right here. I mean, I could I could come in. I could come over. I could. It'll be cold. No, no, no. no. Just say how you would say it. It'll be fine. (laughs) Well, what's my character's name? Is there a motive? Selma. I don't know. Is she young? Is she old? Like, why isn't she there? Yeah, she, maybe she should be there. She's uh, she's about how old are you? Yeah, she's yeah, 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 yeah. That's what she is. So, so, 
I I have to say, as a gay boy, the delivery line Omega Beta Zeta oh. it were, it, is so gay. Yeah, <laughs> it's so gay. Like that's you know, like like mainstream gays consider themselves like the Mean Girls, like Regina George and company, but like the deep cut gays are the Omega Beta Zetas. Mm, yes, Omega Beta Zeta. Uh, I will say, but so here's the thing. Sarah Michelle Geller was not in the same sorority as Becky Gayhart and Portia de Rossi. Right? No, I so it is a little confusing. I think that she is and she but and and so the Omega Beta Zetas are all co-hosting this party <laughs> at some other house. Oh, and so she stayed okay. home as sober sister. I guess, you know, even though they're all on campus, but she's still there to give them a ride just in case. <laughs> right uh weird yeah. um yeah but then who would be home to answer the phone anyway yeah it's like uh, <laughs> all of this is just not a good plan <laughs> yeah kids don't plan well these yeah. days <laughs> not a good look sis yeah uh yeah, right. so, sis. <laughs> so okay so they're all in the same story okay i believe okay. yeah so mm-hmm. so it's uh she does really well the one thing I want to say that bothers me about this sequence is that she's wearing her shoes while she's like cozied up on the couch. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's, that's a problem. It really bothers yeah, me. Yeah, nobody it does really that. She's ready at a moment's notice if, if Brianna starts throwing up on Phi Beta Kappa's lawn, she can just dash <laughs> out the front door. Doesn't even just slip on her kids. That's a sister for you. That's a sober sister. <laughs> That's a sober sister. Yeah. That's a sober sister. Cece, yeah. the sober, sober slayer. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> if alcohol poisoning comes, beat me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Cece, the sober slayer. Wait, what is it? <laughs> yeah, <I guess>. sure. <laughs> Cece the hangover slayer. I don't know. (laughs) Right. She's got, you know, zinc and vitamin C. Yeah, she's she's got the the pills to take the night before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, 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 right. Hair ties. Always hair ties. Yeah. (laughs) Bottle of water. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Did you notice the pizza box? No, no. It was it. Oh, there was a pizza box on the table. Like she had been there all night. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't sure if it was like a. Like a Domino's pizza or something like that. It's just a pizza mm, box. She's mm. just Cece's not afraid. Oh, if yeah. it wasn't from Cece's Pizza, which would have been a nice plug, <laughs> right? That would have been really yeah. nice. Yeah, Cece's Pizza. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It was uh, it was just a regular pizza yeah. box. But I just wondered because that's the other thing. I'm like getting all of these clues about who Cece is and what informed SMG's character and how she talks. Sarah played this character as an unlikely victim. You wouldn't think that this girl would actually die because the first thing she does is walk out of the house. Yes. And, you know. Yeah, I feel like that was the big thing I took away from this moment was in the beginning, she was doing all the things you yell at the character at the screen to do. Right. Right. And, she, you know, she she was even talking back. She was like, I don't have time for this. You know, she's like, oh, some guy's just trying to scare me. Like, she... She had her wits about Mm -hmm. her. I think she was, like, ready to go. She was just spooked. And then, you know, the stupid phone. I'm like, girl, hang up the phone and then leave the house. Right, right. Go to one of those blue lights on campus and call security. Mm. Like, 
I and I, so yeah, I felt like it was interesting the very 1997 quality of being on the cordless phone and stepping outside, and then oh, we're losing, you know, losing a signal, and I was like, ugh. This kind of horror doesn't happen anymore, you know? It doesn't. You can't. You can't. You can't do it. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember when cell phones first, like, became a thing in movies. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, Clueless is one thing. But, like, I'm talking about, like, actual flip phones and things like that. And I remember that I, I was annoyed. I was like, ah, it's ruining so much. Mm-hmm. And the first example that comes to mind right now is... In that movie, What Lies Beneath with Shelley Pfeiffer. Of course, yeah. Yeah, there's that that scene of like, ah, no service on the bridge, Uh you know? And that's like part of the plot. And I, yeah, I just, it seems like such disappointing writing when you're leaning on cell phones, you know? and Because you don't get this type of problem with a cordless phone. Yeah, and I think like the tension that, I mean, it's sort of like this, this sort of campy 1997 quality, but it's also like, just from a narrative standpoint, like there's more tension when you don't have that that connection when it's not that easy. And I feel like, like in general, cell phones now, especially in horror movies, always have to be contended with as a plot point. And it's yes, and and I I don't know. I do I agree. I feel like it never enhances the movie. Like now that we've gotten to the point where the text message bubbles have to show up on the screen because it's the only way like to realistically tell a narrative in like, you know, 2020. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, wh- how far have we come? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'm just being an old coot who doesn't like watching movies with people on cell phones. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why we liked uh, the invitation in a way is because they, they solved the problem mm-hmm. by being like, yeah, cell phones don't really work in the house. You know, yeah. I don't know. You have to solve it. It's like you have to solve you it. Have to solve you have to solve it, it early. I, I, this scene, well, you know, it's in the middle of Scream 2, so it is predictable in a way, um, had unpredictable pr- predictable elements, and it was because of Sarah Michelle Gellar. She made it seem like actually she was going to survive. Um, it wasn't until she ran up the stairs. I mean, first of all, it's as a, a Buffy fan, as somebody that watches Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, you know, a lot um you're not used to seeing Buffy lose Mm -hmm. and so this was also jarring right especially at the time when this came out or you know just understanding that uh you know even though Buffy was kind of really like a later thing for me anyway but still the the idea was that Buffy she never lost and so it you know just looking back on this scene now is like oh it's weird to see Sarah play the victim that's going to lose. And yeah, and even like when we see her earlier in the movie when she's, you know, in that classroom scene, like she's so Oh. like she gives off the energy of a final girl. She gives off the energy of someone who's, you know, who's, you know, a little tough and can kind of, you know, keep up with the nerdy film student banter and uh I don't know, there's a lot about her character that and and I guess also just the familiarity of her as Buffy that just yeah, doesn't read as like oh just the blonde sorority girl who dies she originally wasn't cast to be that role um that was uh cc wasn't going to be in the film class mm. i read that it was going to be somebody else and then yeah and she was going to be in that scene with portia de rossi and rebecca mm. gayhart when they when the group mm-hmm. of them come up to invite them to that party 
I like that she kind of stood back, that she was just this other type of sorority chick, I guess, you know? It was also, it's, it seems interesting, though, because they are, they really did feature Sarah in this movie in that way. Mm-hmm. They set her apart. They kind of created a star this way, you know? Well, and these are all the elements that you kind of, like, expect from a final girl is, oh, she doesn't go to the party. She's sober. She's mm. responsible. She likes pizza. You know, she yeah. Her boyfriend's name is her Ted. boyfriend's name is you Ted. Know, he's a yeah, drunk. yeah, yeah. Girls with boyfriends <laughs> named Ted always survive horror movies. And she like that that scene in the classroom kind of establishes her as like it. You know, I don't know. It it doesn't make her feel like just another um, like fodder. Like she has a point of view. Like she has a brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of why I was like disappointed that she didn't last long was because it was like, oh, this is. Like, you've set this character up to kind of be like a Laurie Strode in Halloween, where she has all of the elements of, like, someone you want to watch kill the killer at the end. Yes. I will say the her death, you know, she gets stabbed and then thrown off the balcony. Mm. I it was it read very 90s to me because of the the beat that is created, right? She falls on the ground. There's like a scream or something. And then there's that loud, like very nineties alternative rock music that plays. Mm-hmm. Like what? And then they segue into the party. You yeah. Know? So like that shot, that overhead shot of her body laying on the ground. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's, it's very 1997 to have that. And then he wipes the blade clean during that alt rock music. Yes. Oh, and then, yeah. Then cutting to the party, which, uh, huh. <laughs> House parties in the 90s in movies always have the same sort of rambunctious energy that I just am like, ugh, you know? <laughs> what? They do. They, ugh. ugh. Like, it's just like, oh, God, every, like, I, everyone, like, there's, there's just, it's, it's the same way in the opening segment in the movie theater where it's like, you all need to take it down, like, just 20%. Not 50, mm. not 70, just 20 <laughs> just too much you kids gotta calm down in here yeah you, yeah you gotta calm down you, you need to calm down i mean i okay so you know what we're here to talk about scream 2 scream was such a fun little romp and i you know we had started talking about scream 2 on our scream uh, free skate episode and I'm glad that we're back to talk about Scream 2 because there are more things to talk about for certainly um, these two movies I think do go hand in hand uh, many people like the sequel many people don't like the sequel I think this, the first one is always lauded mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but I think the two really do go hand in hand and um, for good reasons right the sequel isn't supposed to be as good as the first one Sorry, I'm just going to say that. It's not supposed to be. Um, The only sequel that I can think of that's better than the first one is Three Men and a Little Lady. (laughs) See, I I have not, I I can't verify, but I'm sure you're probably right on that. (laughs) Nancy Travis is in it so much more, and she's fabulous. Oh, Nancy Travis. Doesn't she play British in that? Yeah, (laughs) and I didn't know. Uh, No, honestly, honestly, I was like, I was literally a year less old when I learned that Nancy Travis was not British. Yeah. Like it was recent, recent that I didn't know she was British. Yeah, Nancy Travis is like she's like a, a an apple pie from McDonald's. She's so American. <laughs> Nancy Travis, I'm looking up where she's from cuz I want to say Texas. <laughs> 
she I just for the longest time was like, oh, her and Edward, they moved back to Britain and oh, she's British. And uh, it's she's got that. Oh, oh, congratulations. And yeah, she's just she was always British in my mind. But uh, that's that's the only sequel that I can think of that is better than the first. Can you think of any sequels that are better than the first? Um, Nancy, in your opinion, Nancy Travis was born in New York, so she's a New Yorker. I take it back, Nancy. Um, but okay. still not British. A sequel that's better than the original. I was trying to think of that. Like, is there a sequel that's better than the original uh, of movies that I have seen? I mean, Aliens is a great movie, but there's no there's no world where you say it's better than Alien. It, Thank you. Great movie, not better than Alien. Um, right. Same with same with Terminator Two, because that was interesting in the movie that they brought that up. Because I'm like, yeah, Terminator was. If you go back after watching Terminator 2, Terminator 2 was fabulous, mm-hmm. but Terminator was, I mean, that was all into Hamilton. I mean, it was so good. You didn't have Edward Furlong, who I hated in Terminator yeah, 2. Yeah, I haven't seen Terminator 2, <laughs> probably because of Edward oh, okay. Furlong. Um, you know, I I haven't seen all of Terms of Endearment, but The Evening Star is a great movie. <laughs> so I, I can speak to that. <laughs> That's more my wheelhouse. Um, okay. It's, it's something Alrighty. worth thinking about is, is where is Mary's listening. Help us out. I'm, I'm going to toss this out. I don't know if this is correct. Is how does the Brady Bunch and a very Brady sequel compare? Mm, okay. I mean, I have opinions on that. I, there are very, very strong opinions that I just want to like, nip in the bud right now mm-hmm. between sister act and sister oh act no there's there's another one worth talking about yeah huh very contentious one that you could argue with and like get upset about mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. um yeah i mean but oh man that first one there's so many iconic moments about the first one with Whoopi being this stranger in a strange land and this whole backstory of Whoopi. I, I, and I know the music is significantly better in the second one. And, you know, you got Lauren Hill and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, Sistrax, Sistrax 2. We're here to talk about Scream 2. So, uh, well, Mary. Yes. Did you see? When was the last time you saw this movie? Like, is this, was this something you were very familiar with? Uh, to be honest, I think I saw this in the theaters and haven't seen it since. I really think it's oh. been that long. Um, maybe okay. I'd seen parts of it again, but. No, I really hadn't seen it in a while. And um, and if it wasn't in the theaters, it was, you know, I saw it on a VHS tape from a Blockbuster or a West Coast video um, or a Hollywood video. Who knows? But uh, so, like, the thing that I remembered the most from this movie was I remembered, um, you know, if you wanted to be Sidney Prescott and Scream 2, you just needed to wear a brown leather jacket, a green T-shirt, and denim jeans. And I remember that outfit being her kind of like how Sandra Bullock in the net has uh, oh. what was that? She had kind of like a I think there was some the jean jacket, jean jacket right. um, de- 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 jeans, combat, combat boots, boots lipstick. I did the arm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's a look. There's a certain outfit. And sure. so I remember that yes. and I remembered the sequence of Sydney and Haley getting out of the police car and thinking, oh, my God, this is so tense. I can't believe they have to climb over the body. And that. Oh, my God. That scene. That was probably one of the coolest scenes when I saw. Yeah, it. Saw that stuck yeah. with me was just how tense that was. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I, I, I kind of had a, a memory of Jerry O'Connell being tied up and hanging 
Um, oh, wow. But hey, I kind of improvised from there, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but yeah, sure. I mean, it was. I'd even kind of forgotten for a long time that Laurie Metcalf was in this, and that's a big statement. Oh, wow. That's a big statement. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of people that I forgot or maybe didn't realize were in this movie. I will say this movie read more gay than the first one in the sense that like, okay, gay man wrote the sequel, but actually he wrote both. Mm, of them, you know, mm, now what what reads gay for you in Scream 2? Okay, I mean, obviously in Scream 1, it's like kind of the aesthetic and the fashion, but he didn't write that. Right. So what the biggest scream <laughs> of gay was first of all there's a gay character okay like didn't need to be gay and you know he sydney even said like oh and i think he's gay like there was like a whole little moment yeah. of the cop being gay he's definitely the and cop then, who says don't ask don't tell yeah. yes yeah. that's what i was gonna yeah. say and that is that is only something a gay writer would write right before he got killed for the gay audience to see Hey, we're gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, my security guard's gay. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> this screen, this screenplay, it's gay. gay. <laughs> he moved to Ohio to the college to protect Sydney, and now he's gay. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, it was such a wonderful punchline to him say, "Don't ask, don't tell." Right? Stab. Yeah. You know, like I love that. I love that. That is only something a gay person would or could write. Yeah, it's a it there are these like those little easter eggy things in all of these movies that I think are I like them because they don't always have a big exclamation point on them and then sometimes I'm like, "Oh, that might that may have needed a little bit more a little larger of a font." Like I think that joke really worked well. I think there's other things kind of what we were talking about before of like is Scream doing this on purpose or is it just, you know, plot holes? You know what I mean? Like, I think oh. um, I, I think that there are times where Scream to its subtlety in its kind of wink, wink, nod, nod works. And then there's times where it needed to have a bigger wink or a bigger nod. Does that make sense? Like for us to know that they were in on what they were doing in a moment. Oh, OK. Like like what? Well, it's, I think, for example, like. The like I think you know the opening sequence for example like I think you know Phil or what's his name getting killed in the bathroom like I think there's a lot of things in that scene that even even her being stabbed and like nobody really reacting even even though it's happening like right there it's like in real life in real logic none of this would work none of this would happen but in the in the world of the se- a sequel to a horror movie that's trying to be bigger and more extreme, sure, we allow all this to happen because it's a cool set piece. But, like, it it doesn't make sense logically. You know what I mean? Like, so I think my question yeah, is, like, I, is Scream doing okay. that? Because they're like, oh, yeah, this is what happens in sequels that try to be bigger and badder. Or is it, like, you're just supposed to spend, suspend your disbelief and not worry about, like, logic? Right, right, right. I think that... In- the first scene can be discussed at length on a totally different podcast. So we're not going to do that. But the one thing I will say about the first scene of Scream 2 in its defense is that it is saying more than, than what it's actually doing. It's not, it's of course, it's not going to be that much of a zoo. Of course not. But what they're, they're trying to just show you that actually this is, 
all created by the movie industry, right? They're, they're, the movie industry is literally putting fake knives and masks into these audience members' hands, right? And saying, go play, right? They're having like flyovers of the screen guy, of the ghost face uh, run by the theater. It's filmed in stab-o-vision, right? Everything is over the top in this first scene. And I think for a reason. I do think that it is because they're trying to make this point about, and, you know, it comes up again in the movie uh, about, you know, the effects of horror movies on its audience members to the very end, Colin, where his motive is, uh, my defense is that the movies made me do this. Well, so in that sense, I think that the first scene was supposed to be over the top. It was supposed to show us this is too much. Well, I mean, I think even even the fact that this is meant to be a movie based on a real life thing that happened two years ago, you know, like there's, there's something about like, these people are really sick. When you think about like, if there was a mass murder in real life, then they made a movie of it. And then there was a movie premiere where everybody was acting like it was, you know, uh, I don't know. What's a movie people get really excited about, you know, mama Mia, Lord of the Rings, Rings, you know what I mean? Where people dress up or a new star Wars movie, you know, then Mm -hmm. there's something that's like, these are deeply sick people and so like i i see the narrative of all that like everyone in this theater is deeply sick and and it's all kind of nobody is stopping it and everybody is kind of if anything making money from it i think uh as i said sort of towards the beginning it's like there's just these coincidences or plot inconsistencies like what is cotton weary even doing wandering around this campus you know what i mean like there's things like that where you're like Okay, should I just let that go because this is something Scream Two is doing on purpose? You know. Okay, well, there's, I I want to respond to that, so I'll respond to that. But I think Cotton goes to the school. Um, but the other thing he that goes I'll say to is, the school, uh, he's not a student. I thought so. He's. I thought that he went there. He's like a no, because because Gail brought him there as like a gotcha interview with Sydney. He's not like a. I don't think he's like a student at. Okay. Well, then he's just he's just a sus, as the kids say. Yeah. He's just so, totally sus. Um, but I will say uh, back to kind of like where I was going with Kevin Williamson being gay and writing Scream Two as like the gayer movie. I will say the the sorority girls and their banter was obviously written by a gay person, similar to the cheerleaders in the bathroom. Up to the point where, you know, they're talking about blowjobs is not, you know, that's not what sororities are about. And then the punchline of Becky Gayhart, and she's like, well, is Harmonica style okay? <laughs> and Portia de Rossi's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like Rebecca Gayhart was, that was another, like, addition to this cast where I was like, oh, I could have used more Rebecca Gayhart. I feel like <laughs> she's getting the tone here. Like, this, I think then when there were moments like that, like Rebecca Gayhart and Portia de Rossi, it was like, oh, okay, I get what we're doing here. You know what I mean? We needed more of that in the sequel. Yeah. We needed more of Scream 1 in the sequel, and there we did get some of it. We got We got it with Heather Graham, and I think in the first sequence, we got it with Tori Spelling, we got it very much with uh, these sorority girls, for sure. Um, and then even to an extent, uh, you know, uh, Debbie Salt or the ending, right, um, that we'll talk about Laurie Metcalf's performance at the end that I thought was really pitch-perfect tone. But, I mean, another kind of gay giveaway is 
is the killer, right? Is the killer being this this vengeful mother? I think that is so gay. I do. And I know that it's a callback to Friday the 13th movies, but I also think that it's super gay to make this, you know, Aunt Jackie be the killer, you know? Yeah, Aunt Jackie in this, like, lesbian pantsuit. Ugh. Oh, I live. Yeah. I live well, and, for that pantsuit. And there's something, there's something kind of faggy about Mick as well, if I'm being honest. Like... I know that, you know, I, we see some scene of him trying, I guess, hit on Haley or something at the party. But there's something about him where I was like, he, I think he's, I don't, I think, I I think he's gay. You know. I think he's, I think he's, you know, and does like the limp wrist hand. He's, yes, you know. Yeah. You know. Um <laughs> I did the 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 hand in uh into my mouth and then my tongue in the cheek. That's what I. Oh do. yeah, he's you, he's, know. you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, and it and it and it bears nothing on the plot, but he just read a little gay to me. Sure, I uh, I mean, okay, so I I kind of talked about like Kevin Williamson being gay writing this movie and it coming off as gayer than the first one, um, but. Uh, I, so let's go back. So you're saying that there there was a major pothole of this cotton weary thing walking around campus. I mean, how did you justify it? Because I didn't really even think of that. I didn't really notice it. Once I let all of that stuff go, I had a really good time. But then once I started thinking through, like, what's he doing in the audiovisual building when Gail and Dewey are there, you know? Um, like it's so random they're there why is he there but if i let that go then it's like oh is cotton weary the killer and you just kind of go on that journey instead one last ditch hail mary defense for cotton weary being on campus and in the film studio or whatever cotton in the first one and the second one is always in the wrong place at the wrong time mary that just always happens to him that's just who he is well i didn't get that watching your dress come down the <laughs> runway i didn't get that narrative <laughs> I'm a fast cook, I guess. Um, yeah, I think I need thicker glasses. Then. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I do want to talk about this. Basically, this monologue that uh, Liv Schreiber. I know it's not pronounced that way, but I live. Sure. Um, this monologue he gives. It. I don't know if you've seen Liv Schreiber in anything else, but I have, uh, and I can't place him in anything else. I'm going to look him up, but I've seen him in a bunch of things, definitely. Okay, because I the first time I learned about Liv Schreiber was when I saw him in Hamlet off Broadway at BAM when I was a kid. Wow, because he's you know. <laughs> hey Johnny, are you? You know. <laughs> You know, the sad thing is that my dad took me, right? Wow. Um, but meanwhile, like, I was lusting, lusting over Liv Schreiber. Mm. He was also the first celebrity that I saw in person, like, on the street when I moved to New York. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I saw him in the East Village. He was so tall. I just froze in my tracks. Oh, my God. he was. Just, I was just dying. Anyway, he, in this monologue... I it it just showed me how much of a better actor he was than everybody else in this movie. I know that's a bold mm -hmm. statement, but I'm I'm gonna stand by it. He is so good. He is really good. He's six foot three, by the way. You're not lying. Uh -huh. I know, I know, I know, I know. This just became an X-rated podcast. 
<laughs> um, God. Yeah. Stab me. I know. Well, he was in, you know, I feel like we're going to, we were talking about doing this movie, Mixed Nuts. Uh, oh, this yeah. This Christmas we movie. Were. And he's in it. So oh, we might good. need to eventually do that. Um, yeah, he, I, uh, I agree. I think he is a great actor. I think he reminds me. Not necessarily like they're not, you know, one to one, but they would be in the same bowl of fruit. But um, that actor, Michael Shannon, I feel like he he's Monica Shannon, not to be confused with Monica, Monica's older, more responsible brother, Michael, (laughs) who Michael Shannon. I know that name. He's got he's very distinct features, very kind of. Oh, him. Okay. I'm not saying that he he looks like uh, Barry. Um, Uh, Yeah. uh, What's his Uh face? Yeah, that guy. (laughs) <laughs> Bill Bill Moyers Bill yes Bill okay, Pullman yes, yes, Bill yes. Hater no, Bill no, Hater no. Bill yeah. Hater Bill Hater <laughs> Hater I don't even yeah. know her um, um, uh, But I uh, I feel like They are equally They play like These intense Kind of men And these intense Like they're great In HBO movies You know I feel like Liev Schreiber's had to be In at least a few HBO movies um, Okay Okay. So I agree. I think he is uh I think he's a great actor. He's been nominated for six Golden Globes. So uh watch your back, Jamie Must Kennedy. Be good. Yeah. Must be good. Shut up. Must be good. Um yeah, the Golden Globes, they really pick a winner every time. Hey, Mary. don't uh, mess with Ray Donovan. <laughs> he's been nominated multiple times and has never won. <laughs> oh, it's such a it's such a bummer. Such a bummer for Ray him. Donovan. He was nominated. Uh, I, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. We cry for Glenn Close. Nobody's crying for Liev Schreiber as Ray Donovan. Yeah, but but he what isn't he always up against somebody great? Well, I don't know who's been winning the past five years or those five years. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's the case. He's just always up against someone great. I think he is so fucking good. And Hello, dated Naomi Watts. Okay, I think aren't they married? No, they're not together anymore. Oh, they're not. When did that happen? 2016. Oh, my God. That was a rough year for everybody. Mm -hmm. Do you know that his nickname Um, is Huggy? It's Huggy. Huggy. (gasps) Oh, my God. Did you know that Liv played the bass clarinet in high school? I'm less attracted to him now. It's so cute. And he went to school with Amanda Peet. Oh, I'm aware with I'm aware with her. I'm aware of her. You're aware with, aware her. with her. Yeah. Yeah. You're aware with her. Uh yeah, I oh god. I just think he is so great. I do. Um I I I love him. I think he's wonderful. Oh, and uh correction, it wasn't at BAM, it was at the public that I saw oh. uh live show. Okay. Okay. Yes. Even better. Yeah, you didn't have to go to Brooklyn. Yes. That's great. Um <laughs> I do feel like I saw him at BAM in something, but, you know, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I don't know. Um, uh, maybe it was the public. But anyway, it was a long time ago. Um, let's keep talking about Scream 2, Mary. So let's talk about this cast, and then we can end with maybe Laurie Metcalf, because Laurie Metcalf is what I think keeps the tone of Scream so alive um, right up into the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, every scene that she is in makes this movie worth it. Well, I think as we're singing the praises of Liev Schreiber, it's like, and then there's, if you want to move to the platinum level, then there's Laurie Metcalf. Like, in terms of right. actors who are just dominating over this cast. 
Let's talk about actors that dominated in this movie but didn't mean to. And by actors, I mean Portia de Rossi. Portia de Rossi, yeah. Boy. What was up with it? What was up with her eyebrows? Who was she? I don't know. And I think, at least on her first line, I think her Australian accent came rolling out, mate. It was like, oh, Sydney. Oh, Sydney. I mean, Sydney. I said that. Sorry, force a habit. I mean, she looked so. She just didn't look like she was supposed to be there. Yeah, I guess, you know. Uh, she didn't get the degenerous treatment yet. Yeah, she, um, I don't know. It was, I mean, I loved her. I did. I loved her. And I was like, whoa, Portia, you have made, you've made a, a transformation girl for sure. When I was trying to think like, where is this in her career? Because when I think of Portia de Rossi, I know she was on Ally McBeal, right? Am I, I know she was on Arrested Development. Yes, she obviously. was. Yes, 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 yes. Like, this was, was her? Ally McBeal was after this. So no. Arrested Development, obviously, yes. Ally McBeal was 1998, Mary. Oh, that's so weird. Oh, that's so weird. I God, the 90s are just like a... Oh, God, 1998 is after Scream 2. Wow. My, like, in my, my brain is just... Mary, I mean, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Back in 1997, A... Star 69 was still a thing. Yeah. And caller ID was new. It was a, it was a, yeah, it was a, a gag. It was like a, oh, yeah. she has caller ID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, haha, that's new technology. Yeah, we're not making yeah. Jiffy Pop on the stove anymore and Scream too. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Wow. Right. I mean, I loved, I loved that first scene. I, I used to quote that line all the time. Bitch, hang the phone up and star 69 is ass. Damn, right? Like, that is quotable, quotable. She has so many, by the way, Jada Pinkett. So many in this in that scene. Um, but that was, like, it was a gag because we were like, oh, of course. You right. know, like, that's, yeah, yeah. Dumb actresses, you know, in the horror movies. Like, why wouldn't you just star 69? Find out who it is. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, there's no there's, <laughs> there's no charges. They're not going to, you know, you're not call and collect. Um, yes. I, w- I will say just on that thing of like of when she says, you know, hang up and start 69 his ass and then her boyfriend shushes her. I'm like, excuse me. They are. She is not the loudest person in this theater. You can barely hear her. Yeah, right. She is not the yeah. loudest person in this theater, no. you idiot. She is not to be shushed. <laughs> and you know what? It I the other quote that I love quoting is I got my money. I asked for your money. I just love that. I love that delivery. I think she is uh, I was so happy that she was top billed in this movie because she deserves yeah, it. She was much great. like a Drew Barrymore. Yeah. 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 She was great. Um, she was just as a, a side note, um I ha- I haven't seen it in a very long time. But there's that old, old as in like mid '90s tales from the crypt movie Demon Knight, and she's like okay. the heroine of that. And uh, oh. I remember seeing, I remember it like seeing it on HBO like a gazillion years ago. And I don't know if it's a good movie, or but I remember she was good in it. So if you want more Jada Pinkett Smith or just Jada Pinkett at the time uh, being a badass and not getting <laughs> killed, spoiler alert: check out Demon Knight. Uh, if you want to see one of the best movies that's a Matreon waiting to happen, uh, just see her and set it off. Oh, set it off. Oh, I need this money. Yeah, I. (laughs) 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 
yeah, absolutely. I yes. can't wait to do that movie. Oh God, I love set it off so much. Uh, you know, and I know I I don't think this is your type of movie, but like, Girls Trip was exactly what I needed when I saw it. I saw it. Girls I Trip. I saw it in the theaters. Yeah. Okay, I loved I loved Girls Trip, and Jada, you know, she didn't disappoint. So. Oh yeah, Jada Jada was in that. Girl, really? Girl, no. Hold Girl. on, Jada was it? Who did Jada play in that? Hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop <laughs> this bus. Uh, Girl, she's one of the four. Are she you, was like, are you serious. There was Queen yes. Latifah. There was uh, Tiffany Haddish, Regina Hall, Regina Hall, and and Jada Pinkett Smith. And Jada Pinkett Smith as Lisa Cooper. Yes, and then you know the what is that the the panicked white woman Kate Walsh? Oh yes! Uh, oh no, she wasn't panicked. She just like overdid she just it. Overdid it. Oh yes! <laughs> wow, wow, Jada, I apologize for the erasure. Uh, erasure? Oh, you did. I know. Anyway, I know. Is there going to be a girls' trip too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I she was. She, I love the, this opening scene for many, many reasons, uh, and Jada Pinkett is the number one reason. I think that she carried it. You know, Omar was fine, but he just wasn't anything for me in this in this scene. It was all Jada. Yeah, I I could have just had the scene just be Jada at the movie theater. I I kind of love that idea actually, almost being similar to Scream with Casey being alone. I love the idea of of a female character going to this premiere alone and being in that chaos alone. Um, <laughs> I feel like that would have been a really cool, like creepy set piece. I mean, they wouldn't have had all the dialogue, but I, there was something about all of that. There's something about a movie theater, like, you know, turning the hall to go down the bathroom and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm alone in this theater. Uh, that I don't know. I, I, I could much like the CC scene. I could have seen this go on for 30 minutes, you know? Oh, you know, you fall in love with her as a gay person watching this movie written by a gay man. You fall in love with her when she's like, can't we just go see Sandra Bullock down the street? And I'm like, right? <laughs> it's probably, it's not the net, but who knows what it, no. Hope Floats? I'm sure it's Hope uh -huh. Floats, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it was in 97 with, uh, what's her face, Sandra Bullock, Sandy. But uh, no, I mean, that line alone, uh, and then... You know, she knows her shit, that line. Um, I think the nuance of Jada Pinkett as well, I think that I really started to appreciate her. It's because, you know, she puts on this tough guise of like, okay, I'm going to watch this scary movie and I'm going to scream at the screen, you know, when I'm frustrated. She really doesn't like horror movies, like, right? Mm -hmm. And so she also is playing that character as someone who's kind of going along with this, even though she doesn't really like scary movies at all. And then, you know, she gets up when she's spooked and she gets some popcorn. It's the nuance. It's the way that she orders a medium popcorn and a Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. There's this look on her face. This She's kind of nervous being polite. I, I don't know. Like, she was just jumpy when she was in the lobby. That I, I, gotta, I don't think anybody told her to do that. Yeah, I mean, that was... I I, it was my order, so that felt good. I was like, yeah, medium popcorn. It's not too small where you run out midway through. It's not too much where you're like, oh, my God, I just ate all this popcorn. 
Yeah, but she ordered no butter. Oh, no, not that's my not order. my order. Not my order. <laughs> not my order. Um, by the way, the only movie in 97 that Sandra Bullock was in was Speed 2 Cruise Control. So, okay. but in 90... When did... Uh, okay, 90... but like maybe this was 96-ish. Oh, so I guess in 96... Oh, oh, they could have been seeing 2F by C. That makes sense. <gasps> oh, not a time to kill. I don't C. think they'd be seeing a time to kill. And I don't even know what In Love and War is. But What's the movie she did with Ben Affleck? Oh, that wasn't until 1999. That was Forces of Nature. Oh, Forces of Nature. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Her movie career. God damn yeah. it. Yeah. But then in 2000, <laughs> she did 28 Days. And yes, yes. No, then it was just then. Then she solidified herself as someone who can make good decisions. Also, well, and then she did yeah. Murder by Numbers in 2002. I don't think that movie did very well. Okay, back to uh, <laughs> Scream 2. So, yes, you know, Jada Pinkett, she gets stabbed. She dies. Everybody, she was top billed, much like a Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like, are they going to do this to us again? Of course they did it to us again. And I also love, and I think that they really meant to do this, they commented on black people in the horror genre in the beginning of this movie and then did it. Like, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Like, then there was... The one black friend who dies, right? Hallie dies, and uh, and then the, the 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 news camera guy, Joel. Um, he doesn't die. He doesn't die, but he has a small role, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I I I definitely once they were having that conversation at the beginning, I was thinking about Scream, and I was like, oh yeah. There were no black people in Scream. That's mm-hmm. so true. There right. were no black people. There may have been a couple of black extras, but there were no right. black people in Scream. And in Scream 2, I mean, even down to, like, the guy in the library who tells her how to check her I am. Like, there was, like, a surprising <laughs> mm-hmm. amount of, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, boy, was this the most diverse cast ever. Tokens. There were but tokens. There, Let's be there, honest. Yeah, there was a clear effort that was that was primarily about diversifying you know, the people we were seeing on screen and less about whether these were like, you know, less about having more fully real meaningful, meaningful characters, characters, more of yeah. like, oh, we should have that guy be black. Uh, and it's yeah. Like, okay. And that's what was so dis- that was so disappointing about um, Hallie, uh, Elise's character. I She just was so nothing to me. Yeah. I wanted that character to be more. She didn't get like she didn't get her own like real moment. And I, I mm. mean, yeah, I. I wanted more from that character, certainly. Uh, Disappointing. But you know what didn't disappoint, Mary, is the film within a film. And you know I love a play within a play. Mm. Um, You love the drowsy chaperone, yeah. (laughs) No, I don't. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. I'm like Nicole Kidman on the couch with her therapist. No. Slamming your arm against the coffee table. No. Uh, uh, I'm uh, uh, what's her face in uh, Sex in the City? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I'm Charlotte. No, Charlotte. <laughs> um, no, I don't like the drowsy chaperone at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking. People may have assumed when you said you liked plays within a play that you liked a musical within a musical. Uh, anyway, um, no movie within a movie. Uh, that is, that is like delicious. Mm. Right. So, um, this, I, the fact that he wrote this so close to the original and gave us Heather Graham's line of, you know, I don't even know you and I dislike you already. Like he knew that that, 
He already knew that it was camp. You know what I mean? Like, there was something so brilliant about all of these scenes. The 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 stupid, the Luke Wilson, the casting of Tori Spelling when they predicted it in the first mm -hmm. one. And Tori Spelling, ha oh God, I'm sorry. Say whatever the fuck you want about Tori Spelling. I will always love her, especially because of the delivery that she had when he puts his hand on her face and she goes, please, and she wipes it away. Ah, Tori Spelling is camp. Like she is, yes. you know, we talked about this a little bit in a Scream episode that that there are certain types of casting that mean something. Heather Graham, Tori Spelling. But Tori Spelling, beyond her inclusion in this movie, but just in general, the energy of Tori Spelling, the present, the reason why she's in season one of Drag Race, you know, like that she's in Trick. Like she, there is a, the fact, because she is Aaron Spelling's daughter. You know, like there's, mm. like that's part of it. There's all this narrative. Tori Spelling is camp. And she's Donna Martin. She's Donna, she's Mar Donna, Donna Martin graduates. Which yeah. Always the laughing stock. Mm -hmm. Always. And she's yes. in on it enough where it never seems mean spirited, but it also never seems like she's trying to be camp on purpose, which doesn't exist, you know? Um, yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah. No, she, she's in on it enough. But I don't think she knows to lean in. I don't think she knows what to she lean in. She doesn't know where on. the levers are to make it to be more Tory. <laughs> she just knows how to just do her thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. No, Tory Spelling is, and I and I, it's what's wonderful about Tory Spelling is that the era for her to exist as a as a camp figure icon isn't over yet. Like we, I, I haven't seen her in a while, but like. We could still, if you put Tori Spelling in a movie today, it has a similar connotation as it did in the 90s. Did you see, I'm guessing you didn't, the the reunion season of 90210? No. I barely saw the original seasons of 90210, so no. Okay. okay. Is this that, that, that this... new show, that was sort of meta version of it that came out? Yes. Yeah, I heard yes. of it, yeah. She was so good in that. Mm -hmm. It was so well done. She was a producer. I really appreciated her for it. But um, what were you? What did you think I was going to say? Oh no! I just you probably didn't see it. I was like, what? What did I not see? The one where she, oh. the one where she gets pregnant. Some TV movie from the nineties. Mother, oh. may I sleep with danger? <laughs> she was in Mother, may I sleep with danger? I mean, oh, Tori Spelling God. is She's so good. Like we have to recognize our camp. <laughs> queer icons while they're happening and we're oh no i you know, know i know she was in scary movie too mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. and this movie right i that's, just think that's so important yeah that's the thing it's like yeah tori spelling i think you know i i know that you've seen and i haven't seen house of yes yet but i just feel like we need to be doing more oh, tori spelling God. on this podcast Oh my God! Yes, I think that we could even read her autobiography, storytelling. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and talk about uh, it. happily. I mean, I'm just looking up her um, her OIM doy boy just to double check if there's any other things we should like put to the top of the list. We've seen Trick. We're gonna do House of Yes. Uh, let's go back to the mid '90s. You know, um, what's Deadly Pursuits? Mother May Coed Call Girl. Mother May I Sleep with Danger. Oh, you know what she was in? She was in a Christmas movie, some singing Christmas movie, The Mistletones. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was really There's bad. also a, ca a, really a Carol bad. Christmas. <laughs> Not to confuse with the Divas oh, right. Christmas Carol, but that. a Carol yeah. Christmas. Oh, no, no, no. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'll skip that one. Um, but yes. Uh, and she was also on The Masked Singer, which I think is, you know, a valiant effort. <laughs> yeah, which is, well, you did it. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think that there's there's a there's a lot of Tory spelling appreciation we could be doing here. Um, um, so Mary, talk to me about Timothy Oliphant. Timmy, Timothy Elephant. Uh, you know, we we <laughs> talked about this last on the Scream episode that I confuse him with the other one. Uh, Same. Yeah, the one from Weeds. The one from Weeds. And the one from... Uh, or is he uh, the one from Prior, Weeds? Prior from Angels in America. No, he's not. The one from uh, Weeds. Justin, that's like... He played, yeah. Uh, yes, right, right. He plays... Uh, in Angels in America, he plays Prior. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. But uh, Timothy Elephant, I know from... One movie and one movie only. I know he's been in so many other movies I've seen, but I know him from Broken Hearts Club. Oh, gosh. You know, I have not seen all of Broken Hearts Club. I feel like uh, is that is that where I, I feel I know Dean Cain's in it, you know? Yep. Dean Cain and Andrew. Oh, Keegan delicious. I, 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 but Mary I eat all the, day. Yeah. The reason to watch that movie, though, is for Billy Porter. Oh, I didn't know Billy Porter was in that. All right. Billy Porter is a main cast member and he is hilarious. He has the best scene in the movie where he just gets dumped and he has this like wild meltdown and everybody has to kind of take care of him and he needs music to soothe him. And he's at somebody else's house and, you know, they're trying to find which to put him on to to calm him down. And somebody says, Celine Dion. And he goes, in hell. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, Beach's soundtrack. And he goes, oh, track four. (laughs) Oh, oh, I okay. I'll put this on the list. Um, Broken Hearts Club. That movie is right it's it's right in line with Billy's Hollywood Screen yep. Kiss and Trick no, and all those of those mid late nineties direct to VHS. Yeah. You know, for yes. for us at a time that they were, I mean, like it was it was like you know uh, Indiana Jones and that thing that he's got to get. You know, it was just like oh my, mm-hmm. the, it was the Lost Ark. You know, it was was mm. seeing these mm. movies. Um, right, and hoping my face didn't melt off. Like I, yes, I felt like all the answers were behind Trick, Broken Hearts Club, and Billy Hollywood Screen Kiss, and I just had to see them. Yes, mm-hmm. right, or the real thing, or the real thing, um, or yeah. Um, oh God, there was there was. Uh, I mean, obviously, Edge of Seventeen. It's my party. It's my party. <gasps> oh my God, it's my party with Margaret Show. She was so bad in that oh, movie. You know, I, I always I always saw the <laughs> the video box cover of that, and I remember thinking like. Oh, it must be funny because she's in it. No, and it's not. No, um, it's not. I. Oh God. Um. You know what? Uh, Timmy Timothy Elephants. He is a Matron alum. He was in First Wives Club. Oh well, how do you like that? And he's not Justin Kirk, who's who we keep thinking he is. No, yeah. Justin Kirk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, how do you like that? He was in yeah. uh, the First Wives Club. He played Brett Artunian. He played, I remember he comes, he's like interviewed by somebody or he's like a film person that wants to make a movie with uh, Elise or with um, with uh, Elizabeth Berkeley or something. You know, like he's one of those people. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Uh, I, he was fine in this movie for me. Um. I, you know, was he like the best killer? No, I you know, yeah, like, I, I kind of felt like in some ways it was like, oh, well, I guess they already got Skeet Ulrich, Ulrich, whatever you want to say. So I guess they can't get him again. You know what I mean? Like, I so let's just get Timothy Oliphant and he'll do like a similar version of this. You know, it was yeah, um, right. Kind of yeah. Uh, 
he reads as a young oh man now i'm gonna forget his name he was on two and a half men and he got canceled oh uh, uh charlie sheen yes he reminds me of a young charlie sheen in ferris bueller's day off yep yeah, he looks a little like he's been riding on a motorcycle for a while, and his face and his hair is all blown back. There's yeah, or as my dad would say about like Martina Hingis, he would say she's got a lot of miles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that he's got a lot of miles on yeah. him. You know what I yeah, mean, Mary? Yeah. <laughs> 1995, Toyota Camry's been around the block a few times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't believe my dad. My dad talks about celebrities like that, uh, referring to their coke habits, right? <laughs> right. She's got a few miles on her. Uh, yeah, she's got, got a few she's miles got on. A few miles on her. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, I think you know we talked about Sarah. I I don't think we need to talk about Nev Campbell or Courtney Cox. Uh, actually, we should talk about Courtney Cox mostly because of the fashion. Yeah. So everybody talks about her hair, which I think is fine, right? Like. Okay, her hair was awful, and it was that you know awful dye job and streaky nice and whatever. Nice but, <laughs> but um, for me, the outfit that just kills me every time that I love so much is the tight white shirt and the black pants. Yeah, that's a great <clears throat> that's a great look. I feel like that that's uh, the deep cut Halloween costume is going as Sydney mm. and Gale. <laughs> In Scream, in Scream 2. 2. In Scream 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're Sydney and Gale in Scream 2 specifically. Yeah, and they're both, and yeah, and you both you both hold guns yeah. because of that last scene. Because that last scene. scene. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they both have they guns. Both have guns. Yeah. Like, I, yes, I, I thought Gale looked fine. I thought she was, I liked, you know, I think the whole set piece of her getting chased through like the sound recording, you know soundproof walls and all that that whole moment was also one of the better scenes in the movie and mm. uh, you know like I she's good I, yeah she's I enjoyed good. her in those you moments you forget this yeah. is probably her best movie you know what I mean like I think this is her best performance is Scream 2 because she had this scene right with the, the sound booth she got to scream when she saw Randy dead mm-hmm. I think she like she carried this movie in more ways than I think uh, people thought she would. She played a great bitch. Uh, she had really, really cute scenes with Dewey. Um, and I just didn't expect it from her. Well, so in the first Scream, I feel like Gail, all of her kind of action set pieces always got kind of cut short. You know, it was like, you know, drove the van into a tree or she got punched in the face like mm-hmm. before anything could really mm-hmm. get going. We never really got to see Gail go through like a, a, a prolonged, you know, scene because she would always get kind of like you know, clonked on the head. And so this, it was kind of mm-hmm. nice to see her do a prolonged scene and see like her making choices as a character in these moments. I, I enjoyed Gail as a final girl. She's, she's a very unlikely final girl. Mm. Yeah. And you know, she, she gets shot at the end, yeah. right? Like you thought that they were going to kill her off and then geez, Gail, you got more lives than a cat. Yeah. Um, geez, Gail. She, I just, I don't know why I love that line. Maybe it's cause he delivered yeah, right. it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, she she lasts, and she lasts throughout the entire franchise. It's not like they're getting rid of her. She's an interesting part of this narrative mm-hmm. to be the media that gets caught up in the actual story. Yeah, I kind of feel like she has to 
you know, we talked about this with Scream where like as the movies evolve, it the the media kind of the narrative or what they're saying about the media evolves as well. And she is always the representative of that. Like she's always kind of the her character is also always the commentary on the media. Um, mm. And it is interesting how, you know, it does seem at the end of Scream that she's she's moving out of her Nancy Odell and into her Diane Sawyer. But by Scream 2, she's right back to Odell territory. Like she is. Yes. She is as trashy as she ever was, and oh. uh, I like that. And and a bitch. Yeah, I, I mean, she, and and very aware of it too. I think she also knows, and you know, you learn that she's kind of grown a little bit when she's when you know Dewey's like, "Is this another performance?" And she's like, "There's no cameras here." Yeah, please, I just I, you know, and I'm just like, "Okay, okay, she's all right." Uh, Courtney Cox did her homework. Yeah, um, and she looked. Uh, you know, say what you want about the hair. She, it's iconic. Oh, like she looks. Well, great. I, I mean, I, people are talking about this hair. It's like they haven't even seen Scream Three yet. I mean, it's like oh, you know. thought this hair I was know. bad. I think this hair is I fine. Right. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't mind it. I think. I think she, it's. You know, it. It reminds me of 1997. You know. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, her opening scene with Laurie Metcalf, and we should definitely talk about. Actually, ooh, should I pause us for a second? Maybe we should talk about Jerry O'Connell and just get him. Yeah. Out of so the way. yeah, absolutely. Um, so Jerry O'Connell's attractive because of his blue eyes. Um, mm. He's dopey, and he was supposed to be a heartthrob, and then didn't turn into one. I guess, I mean, you know, it's like he had started as like he was in, you know, was it Stand By Me? Uh, Lee, I always confuse Stand yeah. By Me and Lean On Me, and they're very different movies. It's Stand, Stand By, by Me. me. Yeah. So it's, it's the the it's the Stephen King one. The Stephen one. King one with Morgan Freeman, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Takes place in an inner yeah. city where it's a killer where, clown where attacks Jerry O'Connell all the kids. Is, he's a student <laughs> at an inner city school, and then a killer clown comes and... Cleans them up. It's all set in Patterson, right? Yeah, there's uh, something happens with leeches, yeah. and it's really scary. Yeah, I remember that? Yeah, <laughs> we all float down here in Patterson, New Jersey. <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever it was. So, um, it was stand by stand me. by me. Yeah, um, lean by me. Here come lean by me. <laughs> I'm never disappointed to see Jerry O'Connell, you know, mm. it's kind of like, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, it, it's a damn shame of, you know, that we don't get more of Brendan Fraser these days, but we get Jerry O'Connell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I like Jerry O'Connell more than Brendan Fraser. I, you know, I, I wouldn't kick either of them out of bed, but, uh, the only, the only movie I loved, oh my God, this is a, this would be a great Matreon. The only movie I loved Brendan Fraser in was Mrs. Winterborn. Oh god. With Ricky Lake and Shirley MacLaine. Oh. Like are you sh- is it from 1996? Oh god. <laughs> Connie, unwed and pregnant, is heading to Boston by train when she meets wealthy newlyweds Hugh and Patricia. The train crashes and when Connie comes to in the hospital, she's mistaken for Patricia who died in the crash with Hugh. This is while you were sleeping. <laughs> no, it's not. This is while you were sleeping <laughs> with Sandra Bullock, which must have been the movie playing down the street. No, Mary, it's very different, and it's so good. It's so good. He plays, uh, you know, 
Brendan Fraser has to play the guy that dies, but he also plays like the twin brother who is like the straight edge guy. And then you have Ricky Lake, you know, stranger in a strange land type of situation. And then Shirley MacLaine just kind of like sniffing her out. Oh, it's so good. Is this a period piece? (laughs) Because I feel like. No, Mary, it's an exclamation. Oh, well, I have a lot of question marks here. Um, (laughs) And just a semicolon. Um, But I feel like we could do a double feature of Mrs. Winterborn and While You Were Sleeping. Okay. I mean, fair, because aren't they both in that movie? Uh, Brendan Fraser? No, Brendan. Or Brendan Fraser's in both of those movies? He's not. So While You Were Sleeping, which was 95, Winterborn was 96. 95, that was Bill Pullman, Peter Gallagher. Oh. Bill, uh, Bill, Bill, oh, Peter Gallagher. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher. Yeah. Bill Pullman is the one that like falls in yes. love with her. Peter Gallagher is the yeah, one who's okay. in the hospital. Okay. okay yeah. Great. All right. And I'm, I'm just. Oh, Jane Krakowski is in Mrs. Winterborn. All right. Mary, I, I, you, you keep kind of just like chastising me in a way. I know. For liking this. Movie. I know. I know. I'm like, how dare you? Oh, someone I love's in it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, it's not a period piece. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Helen Hunt. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, you know, okay, we're we're in the last act, act three. I mean, there's so much about Scream Two that we didn't get to talk about, but we're an hour and sixteen minutes in here. Um, uh, uh, we have to talk about Laurie Metcalf. Yes. Lori Metcalf. Uh, Lori Metcalf is, I think, as you were saying before about Leif Schreiber, I think she is times 10. Just it, it, it's so fitting that she, that she has these big scenes at the end of the movie on this like dramatic stage, you know, this Greek mm. tragedy style stage because Lori Metcalf is going there. Oh, she goes there. I, and what's so fabulous, I, I mean, do you, I don't know if you remember when you first saw this, but, like, you didn't know it was going to be her. I don't think so. I mean, watching it again, I can't stand how obvious it is that she and Mickey are the killers, but <laughs> to my young 12-year-old brain, I don't think I realized it, that they were at the time. And... I, you know, I mean, and that's credit to the movie, right? Just kind of like, you know, keeping the whodunit alive more so than even the first one. Because I think after the first one, everybody's like, oh, it could be anybody. And they really leaned into that. Mm. Uh, with And and that also kind of created all these plot holes, right? With Cotton Weary and, and whatnot. But the first scene that she has, there's this very little moment of her, right before her first line, where she walks through the shot in the background, staring at Gail. She's kind of stalking in uh-huh. the background. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you... Yes. Ca- did you catch yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I love that her first scene is this, I'm a fan, and then it turns into, like, actually, I want to get a quote from you. It's such an act one gun, no pun intended, mm. uh, because basically, like, Courtney slams Debbie Salt down. Yeah. Yeah. And then fast forward to the last scene where Debbie gets to shoot her. <laughs> I I think that's a like just a brilliant kind of bow for this movie. Yeah, well I think it's like yeah, the the persona that she's putting on is someone who can get shot down by Gail Weathers and at the end she gets to mm. shoot her down. Yeah, I I mm-hmm. see that. I um 
yeah, I definitely noticed that little like cameo shot of her before we actually meet her, which I loved. I mean, I have a little like antenna that goes up whenever Laurie Metcalf is within 50 <laughs> feet. So that was immediately detected. Um, I, uh, I mean, you know, I think with her character and with Mickey's, I think where it becomes a little obvious is like how they disappear from the movie towards the end where like, as more people die, you start to think, oh, who's left? And it's like, I haven't seen Mickey in a while. And I don't know what, de- mm. like, you just, it almost becomes process of elimination that it was like, it's gotta be them. It's not going to be cotton weary, you know? The killer is cotton fucking weary. What I love that line as a kid, but what I realized that I love as an adult is Laurie Metcalf's responses. <gasps> cotton weary. <laughs> <laughs> no one told her to do that. Yeah. No one, one. it wasn't even a line in the script. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what's so great about her scenes, especially this opening with Courtney, is it it doesn't seem like it's lines. Mm -hmm. It She has this ability to just kind of prance around this dialogue and bring us on this journey there. She does this thing in another scene where she's trying to, she's following Courtney again, trying to get a, a quote or something. And she's doing this weird, like way of stepping, like she's stepping oddly. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, like, like trying to keep up with her. Is it that what? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's that scene where she's trying to keep up with her, but she, the way she's walking is is nuanced as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's just, she, it's 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 either because of the grass, right? And then she has to like step over things to keep up with mm-hmm. Gail and to stay ahead of the pack. Um, you know, it's it's the scene right before she has that line like, "Well, I just thought, you know, and it might be somebody from Woodsboro. That's all." Mm-hmm. Um, it's that scene. Um, the way that she's talking, I. There's another nuance of Laurie Metcalf's that I think we absolutely need to celebrate. We need a gif of it. It's when after Cece dies, she's interviewing the cops and you hear her say, so it's definitely not suicide. Okay. And then she starts to walk away and she does this like, thank you. This like wave, like wave away. Mm -hmm. That's, do you remember this? I can picture her doing, I can picture Laurie Metcalf making that choice of almost like a, it's like that thing we talked about of of a mundane physical action paired with a line of like, okay, thank you. Like it's a, it's a underplayed or it doesn't feel like she's playing a wave. She's just doing it like as a little gesture. I can picture that. I'm assuming that's what it is. Um, Yes. There's, there's so much in the wave too, because she says it. It's literally, she, this is why Laurie Metcalf is like a giant in her field because she can take a line like that. And say so much because she's actually saying it and we, the audience, are watching her do it and watching her face as she's saying it. But the wave is like, fuck you, you're done. I'm only doing, I'm only saying thank you because I have to. And her face is also like, ugh, okay, thank you. You know, you didn't really give me anything or I just killed her. Mm -hmm. You know, there was so much in it. And then she has this great scene and the line that I love is, oh, Gail, hi, you're just getting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, because in these movies, like the dialogue is dialogue with a capital D. It All the dialogue is these characters are saying something, but they're also saying something, you know, like every mm-hmm. line is supposed to be saying mm-hmm. something. And Laurie Metcalf, I think what's so great about her and having her in this movie is that she's she can make it feel like not lines. Like she can make it feel like it's saying like doesn't feel like dialogue. She can just make it feel like 
like this is a real human being and i think it's all in those little gestures and all in that in that body language and the kind of like lived in energy that she brings that i don't think most of the cast is doing you know most of the cast is performing the dialogue and she yes. is being the character of debbie salt slash mrs loomis mm. mm-hmm Yes, she's being Mrs. Loomis playing Debbie Salt. Yeah, because I think, you know, sometimes it's almost like when we talked about, you know, most recently with like Drag Race Holland, but like any queen where like the dress is wearing them. A lot of Kevin Williamson Mm. movies and scripts and shows, the script is wearing the cast, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. like you have to have it. Then you have an actor like Laurie Metcalf who then, you know, spins that straw into gold and it's uh, yeah or Liv Schreiber yeah. right like oh, yeah. Liv Schreiber is the same mm-hmm. way yeah, yeah no he's great too yeah. but it's like it's just that extra like caliber that ta- that it takes to kind of like manipulate that that script into things people human beings would say sure right exactly whereas I think Nev Campbell she's great in this movie I I I wish that I had another hour to talk about Nev Campbell and why she's great in this movie, but she's not as great because she's playing 1997 Nev Campbell in a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Um, I. It's just, it's it, it, there's a ceiling. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's weird. I felt like in some ways I didn't get enough Sydney in this movie compared to the first one where we, with Sydney we get you know, we get that first attack scene. We get, there's so many scenes, obviously at her, the party and, and her involvement in that last, like, you know, climax of the movie. Whereas I felt like in this, you know, the scene where Hale, you know, Haley dies, I, all of a sudden it was like, Oh wow, we're already at the theater. Like, <clears throat> and then the mm. confrontation with Mickey and Debbie, it just, it, it all, I, I think I was expecting more, more to happen and not for it to just kind of be this like, confrontation at gunpoint on the stage that felt a little limited. It was like, Oh, I'm not getting enough of like final girl moments with Sydney. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not her fault. It's more like the script. I'm not getting Sydney getting to be the final girl. Um, okay. I, I'm going to push back gently. So Sydney, the final girl, if I'm going to find her in the movie prior, right? She, she has been fighting back consistently, right? When she was on the phone, you know, show your fucking face, you fucking coward, right? Or show your face, you fucking coward. Um, she talks back to the Kappa girls. You know, she's she's got some feist in her, but I think that the final girl scene, again, it's kind of subvert- subversive in that she goes backstage and then starts, she gets the axe. She starts chopping things down. She's creating this, all of this chaos. Meanwhile, we like earlier in the movie, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes prior, we saw her on stage as Cassandra. Now we're seeing her backstage kind of running the show in a way. Killing Debbie with theater. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, and that's one thing I do love about uh, the poetics of Scream 2 is that we get act three of the movie in the same place as act three of Cassandra. You mean like the actual text, or do you mean the play that they're doing in the movie? Or I guess both. What do you mean? What do you, I don't know. I don't know what you mean by that. But with, the location. Oh, like ju- the just set. the mere fact that the movie ends on the set of this play that's supposed to be kind of like a metaphor for what's well, happening. Not. I don't know if it's a metaphor, but uh, Act Three of Cassandra, they they start playing the sound right. 
are you talking about like is there a, is there a is there a well known production of Cassandra that I'm not yes. familiar with? Yeah, I don't know. I thought they made this up. I was like, what the hell is Cassandra? Oh no, it's a like a Greek play. Oh, uh, it's like one it's of those all Greek, Greek myths. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> wah, wah. Um, I yeah, I wasn't sure if this was like invented for Scream Two or not. I mean, it might have been, but what I'm saying is that it's obvious that Act Three. Okay, let's go. Let's rewind. So we see Nev Campbell with that creepy acting teacher that doesn't believe her. Mm -hmm. And then she has to, you know, rehearse for the play. That's not the beginning of the play. That's the end of the play. That's act three. That'd be a pretty aggressive beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's act three, right? So what I'm saying is the just the poetics that were ending this horror movie using the same soundtrack and kind of set piece as the act three that we already saw. Uh-huh. I like, yes, yeah, so th- there is that. kind of a, a, an actual act three of Cassandra happening and, and Sydney is fully, you know, uh, the Cassandra who saw it all coming. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. Just, yeah, I guess, you know, th- it's just the part of me that wants, that wants a chase scene through the theater building. You know what I mean? Like that's, Oh, okay. I just, lo- I, I guess I, I love that stuff. Uh, yeah, I I hear that it could have been a catacombs costume thing, oh, but oh. but I hear you, Mary. But there's something really cool about it. They're just staying on the stage, and she's creating all this chaos with the lights. You know, theater is dangerous. Uh, you know, all of the the set pieces, the the lightning, uh, the she she the, the she fog shakes machine. the thunder. You know, I love that. Boy. I love that. Uh, I did. <laughs> I just, it was, it was so just like theater can change lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, we, there's one moment before we continue on with Debbie Salt's little uh, ending monologue, but one moment that Nev Campbell just kills it uh, that I love. And it's campy. She doesn't mean for it to be campy. It's you're forgetting one thing about Billy and Loomis. I fucking killed him. Uh. Uh, it's one of those lines where it's like, okay, that's fabulous. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, yeah. I mean, that's like, it's funny because that moment reminds me of that, that moment in aliens they referred to earlier of like, you know, get away from her, Mm. you bitch. Like there's just, there's that moment where the heroine, like, you know, talks back to the queen bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she says, she says piece of shit after, and it has this Nomi Malone fucker fuck off vibes Mm. all over it. And I was like, okay, we're here. Well, this, we're in Act Three. This whole Cassandra <laughs> production had a Nomi Malone quality to it. It was oh yes. I mean, I yes. I was surprised there was no thrusting it happening. It was. <laughs> they really leaned into Neb Campbell having a a dance background too, which I also oh loved. yeah. <laughs> well, like Neb Campbell having a dance background, Sydney Prescott having. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder, so let's put her in a role <laughs> where she's surrounded by masked, cloaked figures stabbing knives stabbing at her. her. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is good. This is good for her. Yeah. Yeah, she's a fighter. Yeah. She's a fighter. This will really help. <laughs> she was so excited about the role, though. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't do anything goes. Uh, that, no. <laughs> I think we need to do Cassandra. They didn't do the drowsy chaperone, right, Mary? They certainly did not. Who uh, um, who wants to? Who, uh, who says I do? I do in the theater department. Sydney <laughs> <laughs> uh, Prescott in Carolina Change. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> um, also, weird that the sorority girls were in the production with her. Oh, that was so weird. I was like, no. No. This is no. another place Portia no. Rossi does not fit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Nor Becky Gay. For that matter. Right? Like, yeah. I just... Uh, um, also... Gay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know what's weird about Becky Gayhart? I keep thinking that she has died. Oh yeah, but I know she has. I know. Is, why do I think that she died? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it because it's not like there's some confusion with Brittany Murphy. We all know that she's not Brittany Murphy. Rebecca Gayhart. I mean, I don't know. She. So here's why. Here's my theory. I think she played the girl that dies in nine hundred two one zero. That's uh, uh, Dylan McCabe's girlfriend. I think that's it. Mary's chime in if I'm wrong or if I'm right. But I think that's why I like for the longest time thought Becky Gayhart was dead. But well, she was on Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. She had an eight episode arc as Tony Marchette. Mar- Marchetti. I think that's it. Mar- I think that's Marchette. it. I don't know how to say it. I don't think anyone cares. Um, I think that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. Well, anyway, but uh, yeah, but we should we should we should start to wrap up. We yeah. need to talk about the line, "You killed my son, and you don't know what it is to be a mother." Uh, yeah, it was like Tony Collette and Hereditary. <laughs> ra- walk ran because Laurie Metcalf and Scream Two walked. Yeah. <laughs> She picked up this movie in the third act and ran away with it and stole yeah. it. I feel like when I first saw this, it was laughable. And I was like, what? This is stupid. Knowing what I know now about movies, life, Kevin Williamson, Scream, satire, this, she was pitch perfect. Well, and I think it's kind of great that the first Scream has a whole twist hinging on no it was his mother who was the killer and then in the second <laughs> one it's his mother who's the killer at the end like i i appreciate the book ending of of kill of surprise killer mothers um, <laughs> they tricked us <laughs> debbie you debbie me. <laughs> you tricked me um i mean an hour and 40 minutes in Billy Loomis's mother, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and then just her performance, Laurie Metcalf with a knife is also fabulously gay. Yeah. I mean, Laurie Metcalf in that white pantsuit. Yes. The suit. And holding the gun, I think as well. I think there's shots of, of like just wild eyed Metcalf holding the gun in the white pantsuit where it's like, oh, Uh, like, did this all happen in an alternate reality? Because I think... This this should be there should be a statue of this in a in a medium sized city in the United States somewhere like this is a moment. Yeah, I mean, people talk about uh, you know paintings, uh, famous famous movie moments or TV moments that then become paintings, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is one of them, right? Like if you talk about the first season of Untucked of All Stars on Drag Race being like one of those famous paintings that we need yes. to see in a museum. This is also one of them where Laurie Metcalf is wide-eyed and crazy in that suit holding a knife, right? Mm-hmm. While Cotton Weary, while Liv Schreiber is pointing a, a gun at both of them. Like that's what I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I I think her face like just like a close-up and like m- kind of made to look almost like a 
like a comic book. Like I think just a close up of that mm. on a tank top would be such a look. Uh, Mary, make the I tote will. bag. I will. I will. I could make the tank top even. I mean. Yeah, make the tank. Yeah, top. make the tank. Make the, make that tank yeah. top. Tank tops. Tank make bottoms. That tank. Yeah. Yeah, tank bottoms. Yeah. Uh, tank girl, if you're Lori. Oh, Penny. I yeah. Um, <laughs> I know her. Um. So there's. I think probably two other things that I want to say. Um, well, first of all, hat tip Danny Elfman did the theme song that plays during this whole sequence. Um, yeah, he did the Cass- yeah the Cassandra music. Yeah. What made this movie even more late '90s is that they played the credits. I was hoping you'd bring to, this up. Uh, I think I love you cover by Less Than Jake. Well, and the fact that the it. LTJ. That they transitioned into LTJ from a collective soul song. Oh, God. we didn't even mention yes. the Dave Matthews. I didn't. Oh, I did not want to no. mention the Dave Matthews playing at the party. Absolutely, that song not. is a problem. <laughs> that song is so. Your older sister at college yes. at a music festival, yes. like that's right. No, not even at a music festival. Just my sister at college on I've, the I've quad. Told, I, <laughs> Yes, yes. I've I at Gettysburg College because that's where she yeah. went. Um, Jilly Jilly went to Loyola. Yeah. Um, Loyola, Maryland. Yeah. Uh, of course they did. Jilly's screen name on AOL was DMB three thousand five because the first three thousand four were taken. <laughs> yes, my sisters are that basic. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, but that's I for I just I think of Nancy and Jilly whenever I think of Dave Matthews Band. Oh God, college. they loved him. yeah. They, well, Jilly loved him in middle school. My Nancy loved him in high yeah. school and college. Yeah. I think they still love him. Of course. I, it, it was, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> they, they just would blast that music. And, oh, God. Oh. I know ants were marching, but I don't know it because I'm a fan. I know it because I was subjected to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I can do a great Dave Matthews impression. Like that that could be a snatch game character. Do you want like to do you want to do a little of it now? <laughs> I mean, you can't say I do a great Dave Matthews and then just play like, all right, Mary, so if you want to send us an email. She wakes up in the morning. <laughs> I love that he's two houses down from Cher in your catalog <laughs> of impressions. The space between <laughs> your wicked lies. No, can you do Cher as Dave Matthews or Dave Matthews as Cher? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> he would sing, Um. Uh, oh, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't think I could do Dave Matthews doing Cher. But I could do Cher singing yeah, Dave Matthews yeah. because it's the same thing. Yeah, you might have to just kind of like, <laughs> me. It, it probably goes a little bit slower at points. Because Dave Matthews oh, maybe. is a little more. Dab it up right side up. Or upside down. Yeah, yeah. Home. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Down. Cher is just a slowed down Dave Matthews. She would do, uh, let's see, oh, what is it? Uh, uh, Hawk up your skirt a little more. (laughs) Show your world to me. Stupid. (laughs) Oh, my God. Cancel me. Cancel me immediately. Uh, I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm so sorry. I was not even prepared. I can do a much better Dave Matthews than that when I'm a little tipsy. So next time. All right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, uh, there you go. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I do. Um, the, so I mean, yes. less than Jake is less than Jake is so late nineties. Collective Soul is so late nineties, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I I love the uh, just how nineties these screen movies feel. Um, and it it is it is a signpost, right? Of like, if you want to see late nineties, you look at Clueless and Scream. Yeah, it's you know the end of Scream two. Yes, the the collective soul into less than Jake is almost like the way that there's like the early nineties and then there was like 95, 96. And we went to like a late nineties stage, like the early, the internet, like once the internet became like a thing and like, I don't know, 95 when it became like more of a, a common thing, I feel like mm. then it, it was like that happened and then scream happened. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh, we're in the nineties now. And, uh, I feel like that is how the transition from collective soul into less than Jake feels. Um, and it's, and it's a cover, which is very less than Jake. Very of, late nineties to do a cover. Yes. of I think I love you. Ugh. Yes. Uh, I think I love you. And you know, I, I didn't want to know your thoughts on the cafeteria scene because I just, I think it's so sweet knowing that that was also his audition. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was just a shot of like his loafers and I was like, ugh. He's so sweet. If he was wearing, <laughs> if he was wearing Converse, I would be like dripping through my shorts right now. You know what kind of really got me is, and it was also very '90s. His polo shirt was too big for him, mm-hmm. right? Like it was so baggy in the armpit, and it was tucked in yeah. that you knew it was just like it was a, two or one sizes too big for him and that also just kind of like put it in this place of like a college dork mm-hmm. and i also kind of was like yeah i'd, I'd sleep with you oh yeah. absolutely <laughs> i mean don't get it twisted any any moment even even after the singing in the cafeteria i i'd still fuck him but yeah his his oh, clothes I, absolutely like leave leave the penny loafers by the door you know um but Leave them on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and hike up your socks a little more. <laughs> Show your cock to me, to me, Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, no, his clothes kind of fit the way that like. There's a big difference between how clothes from either, you know, I don't know, an H and M or a, you know a store like that, or even a Kohl's or a Target, but then there's like clothes from like. There's clothes from like the old man section of of Kohl's or Target, or there's like clothes from like J.C. Penney where everything fits like that. Like it's clothes that were meant for oh. dads, you know. They're not, or just someone that yeah, that's just going in. Yeah, you know. But they're not meant to be like. They're not. They don't have the same goals as an H and M sweater, you know. Well, here's my thing, and maybe we should, you know, end our podcast and then like have an extra for Only Mary's because I do want to talk about the culture of trying on clothes at a Target. Mm. Like, that's what I also think is uh, interesting about shopping at a Kohl's or a Target. It's like, you're not supposed to try anything on, actually, and that's why they fit like that because they're just supposed to fit everybody kind of poorly. Yeah, I mean, Target stepped its game up, but I uh, I always feel weird trying clothes on. Oh, I still shop at Target, for oh, sure. Oh, if it, sure. Like, Target, honestly, I'll even shop there not even as a, and maybe I should say this for only Mary's. So this is a sneak peek, Mary's. If you want to hear more of this conversation, here is a 15-second preview. <laughs> I don't like trying clothes on at stores because there is always that moment where it's like I am 
just standing here naked in the department store very far from home. Not or not naked, but like all my clothes are off. And mm. I, it just feels wrong. I just feel like, um, I don't know. Have you ever been into a Hollister, Mary? Oh, God. I hate a Hollister. It's... Do you know, you, you know, that was when you changed all in the same room in front of a mirror. Oh, so I never did that. Oh, God. It was enough for me to oh. go into a Hollister. I don't need that kind of progressive Allie McBeal co-ed bathroom shit. No. Okay. Okay. So, yes. Uh, but, I mean, it was not co-ed, but still. Anyway, we should end our Scream 2 tribute. Uh, we are, I don't think we're going to do Scream 3 or Scream 4. We we, we might. Um, I just, uh, there's there's not uh, urgency right now for me to go to Scream 3 by any means. But um, there's so many other things I think that we want to recap. But I, th- I just... Marys, thanks for going on this very long journey with us. We had a lot to get out, so I'm happy you stayed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there were some real, there were some moments there that you could have really, you could have left, <laughs> and you did. You did. I don't know. <laughs> I would assume the phones on the other side of the room. You're making meatballs, and your hands are too messy to go change the podcast. Maybe they're making popcorn. Maybe you know? I, I made popcorn when I watched this. I made popcorn last night. I feel like we should have spent 30 minutes talking about the stab movie, but maybe that's for next Halloween. Yeah. You leave something in the tank. Well, uh, if you want to find more of us, um, we'll go out of order this time. If you want to find more of me, uh, you can of course find me on my other podcasts in the details, a celebration of nuance or Best Supporting Podcast, the celebration of Best Supporting Actresses. Uh, and of course, you know you can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker and Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. Okay. Well, Johnny also won on Twitter and Johnny also on Instagram. Uh, but I will tell you, Marys, I'm not really doing either right now. I'm just taking a little break. Uh, I have to focus. But yeah, uh, all I have to say after that is uh, Omega Kappa Beta Brother. I thought it was going to be a Dave Matthews band uh, impression. I got nervous. That was better than I was I was hoping. Um, well, folks, uh, we'll see you later. Tatsins. <laughs>